Firstly, money can increase or decrease in value. Secondly, money is risky, but at a given moment, one has some idea of its worth. Thirdly, money can buy you many things, comfort, luxury, relief from pain, sometimes even life itself. And now you listen to me. And you listen very carefully. Next to the speed of light, which Einstein says is the only absolute in the universe, second only to that, I rank money. Me, that's all you need to know. That's what life's all about. That's what life is all about. Hello and welcome to the Lone Acting Nominees Podcast, a show where I'm joined each week by a guest to discuss a movie that only received one Oscar nomination, that being for one of its performances. We'll talk about the performance in question, the movie as a whole, and its place in the Oscar race, among other things. I'm Gordon McNulty, and this week I'm joined once again by Aditya Bhattacharya to discuss Rod Steiger's Oscar-nominated performance in the 1965 film The Pawnbroker. Aditya, good to have you back on the show. It's always fun to have talk to you about this film, Gordon. Yeah, uh, so uh, tell me a little bit about what uh, drew you to this movie in particular. Um, I'm a huge Sidney Lumet fan because I think he's one of the best American filmmaker and people don't talk about him in the same way that they should talk about because he has made too many movies. Like if you go to his IMDb, he had made like 70 film plus. So you cannot categorize him in like an auteur filmmaker. He's a very specific type of filmmaker. We will talk about him a lot. And two of his films have been already talked in this podcast. So I have to grab one to the one week I can talk about him. Yeah. Because I want to talk about his filmmaking because I think he's a very fascinating filmmaker. Yeah. I I I know that I've done at least Long Day's Journey into Night and this one. Is there another one that I'm forgetting? That uh, the Jane the Jane Fonda one, the after Right. Uh, after the morning, morning after. after. Yeah. I did that <laughs> not too long ago and entirely forgot that that was Sidney Lumet. Wow. Uh, might be his worst film, actually. I don't blame you. Like, 80s and 90s were not cool to him. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's fair. Um, the poor guy actually made remade Gloria for some reason because he was not able oh, to right. work. Right. I forgot about <laughs> that. Wow, yeah. The late period of Sidney Lumet is wild. And then you get... Yeah. Uh, uh, before the devil knows you're dead, just as a a real was like explosive ending. Yeah, uh, it career. almost to make a comeback with that film. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a real sort of swan song of a movie. But we are not here talking about that movie. We're here talking about the pawnbroker from 1965, directed by Sidney Lumet, written by Morton S. Fine and David Friedkin, based on the 1961 novel of the same name by Edward Lewis Wallant. Stars Rod Steiger, Geraldine Fitzgerald, Brock Peters, Jaime Sanchez, Thelma Oliver, uh, Juano Hernandez, Marquetta Kimbrell, Raymond St. Jack, uh, Nancy R. Pollock, a whole bunch of people in relatively small-ish roles. It's a lot of ensemble, sort of like bit players that come in and out. Uh, Morgan Freeman, apparently, as an uncredited extra. What? Uh, like in the scene at the end, like the crowd scene, uh, spoilers, he's apparently <laughs> just an extra. It was his film debut. It was just an extra in that scene. Uh, I tried to look for him. I may have seen him. I couldn't tell. It's, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's tough. And like when you Google Morgan Freeman, the pawnbroker, most of the screenshots are not of him. They're of a different actor that kind of looks like yeah. him, that is yeah. credited and is somebody else. Uh 
Uh, the movie premiered July 2nd, 1964 at the Berlin Film Festival and then opened in the United States April 20th of the following year. Uh, made decent money for the budget, uh, but there are reasons why this movie was not necessarily a hit that we will definitely get into. Uh, oh, definitely. But, but before we get into any of that stuff, let's talk about Rod Steiger giving maybe one of the not even maybe, just definitively one of the best performances I will get to talk about on this show. Maybe one of the best performances ever nominated for an Oscar in any category. It, just it's it's completely staggering. Like you can't believe that this is a, this is a film from came out from sixties because his performance is like right to this point. Like it it's too subtle for nowadays even. Like you cannot yeah. give this type of performance and get to Oscar nominated. People will say he's giving a too subtle of performance to get a nomination. My like, goodness, he's incredible in this yeah. film. Like look this year at a a, a movie that I was reminded of more than I thought I would like look at a uh, uh, Sandra Huller in the zone of interest yeah like that's another yeah, yeah. very yeah very restrained performance doing not similar things but uh, uh achieving a similar tone in terms of what these movies have to say about the Holocaust and its effects on everyone involved like a, a very very low-key performance for most of the time like there are points yeah. that where this performance bubbles over and it it, it explodes and uh like that's the thing that like rod steiger uh even contemporarily was kind of criticized for of being a very big actor in a lot of other things where like he had a tendency and, and a notoriety for going over the top with some of these performances uh which is what makes this performance even more impressive that there are so many points where you would expect someone like rod steiger to go over and and go big and he's very very careful about the moments where he chooses to do that it, it's even just on that level of of just basic restraint of acting it is impressive before you even get into the real like like fine details of everything uh, definitely, and I I have to. I was thinking a lot about uh, Gene Hackman's performance in the conversation. Actually, yes. like that is that is similar type of a great big big known actor who is giving who is known for giving a loud performance, giving a very subtle and nuanced performance where he's using his entire body for giving a very what he's going through to showcase what he's going through. Like yeah. it was, reminded me a lot of that film actually. Definitely, and there and like they're both performances of characters that have an immense amount of guilt that yeah. is just like like incomprehensible uh for very different reasons but uh for yeah i i, I just rewatched that not too long ago that's oh, an God. incredible performance and, and movie but uh yeah there's like i i wrote down there's like 45 minutes into this movie before steiger like emotes yes. at all uh i'm going i was going to say that he has three moments of like complete implosion of his personality and you just wait for that because from the first scene you can see in his eyes that his he there's a lot of sadness and emotions that just hanging around him to just explode and it's kind of cathartic moment when about 50 minutes around that that scene happens in the pawn shop yeah and and then you have the scene after that with him uh, blowing up on Geraldine Fitzgerald in oh. the park which is incredible and then from there like like that's a moment that fundamentally changes this man and he's yeah. just like slowly if not breaking down he's he's certainly uh 
sort of coming to terms with things that have not been addressed for the past 25 years and with good reason too. Uh, uh, And as that sort of happens, there are these like little moments where he is cracking and he, and he is blowing up and he is at least feeling something like that's a whole, like he makes it kind of a point of pride that he doesn't feel things anymore. Uh, Or at least he says he doesn't. And and there's obviously uh, layers to that. Uh, But like, those first 45 minutes as well, like not not to just hang what's great on this performance on the moments of big emotion, like those first 45 minutes are there, there's real restraint there because like the, the thing, the sort of like maxim is, is that acting is reacting and yeah. uh, to be able to go that stretch of a movie very consciously not reacting to anything like like the absence of the reaction is the reaction the the ability to make himself not react to anything the ability to like not look at anyone not have even like an an ounce of emotion come across his face at all of these like pretty pathetic people coming into his pawn shop or at any of the warmth shown to him or any of the like anger shown towards him to not react to any of that is really impressive because like you could see a version of this where another actor another actor who wants to go bigger with this performance does like hint at those those later developments much earlier on and it makes it a a less effective movie if that's the case like the the ability to hold steadfast in not like reacting not emoting at all uh is is what makes this character and performance feel at all real it's a very confident performance like he believes yeah. that the audience will follow him throughout this film like there are a lot of like this year i i also feel the similar way about Cillian murphy's performance in oppenheimer like yeah. he's just taking he believes that everything that he's going through through his eyes and through his body language like he knows that if i have if i do a little bit more it will it will alienate the audience from me and yes. he's using that the same type of performance in the starting uh, stretch of this film especially oh, like yeah. uh, we will talk about the way the film starts you can see the contrast between the what he's he was before and what he became after the incident oh yeah all of the 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 few scenes but the scenes where you do get the, like extended oh. flashbacks with him specifically like the opening and when he's watching his friend get killed yeah. and when his son is dying, like those are, are big moments from Steiger that are earned because all of the smaller moments don't feel like they're like they're nothing like those those moments of non-reaction, the, the moments of him being this entirely emotionally cut off man those all feel real in service of building to the scenes where he does go big, where he does emote, where he does blow up on someone because those are big. Those are Rod Steiger big acting, like in in the most true sense. And that could get tiresome. That could get to a point of like, okay, we get it. And there's a few, there's like maybe two moments where this performance I feel does almost verge on that and then it brings you back the scene where he's at brock peters's apartment and brock peters is like where did you think all this money comes from and the like the way he's like 
silently like crying and screaming in a way that comes back at the end of the movie in a, in yeah. a much more felt way like that almost feels like it's verging into over the top acting and then by the end of the scene he brings you back with the crying oh, and God. the like the way he like stutters out that yes eventually and then the other one that also again feels a little bit almost like Rod Steiger like classic over the top acting uh but then you know pays it off uh at the very end when he's like about to you know impale his hand on the yeah. uh, the uh, receipt spire and you the poster just, scene actually yes the and, poster scene of that yes uh and you have the close up shot on his face just sort of like shaking and you can see whether it's like the the makeup or just like his 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 face just like jiggling back and forth it's like this is a really intense close up shot of him just like shaking like jelly but yeah steiger pays it off steiger makes it work he makes these moments of potential hamminess fit within a movie that is very low key and very toned down by making this character as a whole feel like a whole and not like just a, a, a caricature or a, a big performance for the sake of giving a big performance. It all feels very earned. I think the big performance, there's a very large, large contrast between the character's performance. Like the, the contrast when he's going through, you can see the entire movement. He's not going from one to 10 directly. Yeah. He's, you can see the entire process of him going to the words moment of breakdown. Oh, it's definitely. not a loud performance in that way. Like uh, a lot of uh, Oscar clips that you see is just like linearity capro breaking down the moment. It's not like that. It's complete meltdown. You can see the process of him going through the emotions of the character. And that's why I think he, this performance works. Oh, definitely. Like you have uh, the moment where he goes to Geraldine Fitzgerald's apartment and like does open up to her. And he has this like moment of connection with her. And then still at the very end when she reaches out her hand to him and he doesn't take it and he gets up and sort of like waddles away like a scolded child. And like there there is a progression to this performance. This is a, a yeah. character that is very slowly realizing things about himself and about how he has lived for the past 25 years following. We haven't really mentioned the the premise of this movie i imagine yeah. people probably would know but like <laughs> for anyone that doesn't this is following a, a a man who 25 years prior had lost his entire family in the holocaust and has since uh been living as a pawnbroker in new york and has uh basically forced himself to cut himself off from all emotions and all connections as a result of that tragedy and as a result of just all of that experience and uh, uh over the course of the movie, whether or not he he learns a lesson about that is debatable because there's a, a a lot. I mean, this is a movie that if you haven't watched it, it is certainly worth watching. And we're going to oh, be definitely. getting into spoiler territory here and there. But uh, yeah, if you haven't seen this one, this is a wholehearted recommend not to spoil too much of my thoughts on the movie. But it is really fantastic and really worth watching. If you love a character drama, like especially from like 60s, late 60s or early 70s character drama about single person, then this is a must watch. 
and if you are like someone like if you are a fan of paul thomas anderson movies then this is a definite watch for those guys because this is a very concentrated character drama it kind of reminds me of some like like less demented version of the master paul thomas anderson the master i can see that like it's not it uh, it is not focusing on the uh, the uh, scope of the master but it's very personal and very uh, concentrated on a single character and like that film yeah i can, but, I can uh, totally see that but there's a huge character arc like like a great paul thomas anderson films like it has that huge character arc where you can see the one character going through it's not the character changes through the moment the character is going through an arc and the change is dependent on the character himself yes i feel that that's the way yeah definitely yeah, so uh looking down at my notes this is uh, i mean i i wrote down a, a fair amount of notes but it is this is a performance that uh, uh, is like sort of goes against the nature of talking about it because yeah. so much of it is so purposefully <laughs> intended for us to not be able to read him and to not like like it, it's a it's a for a large part of the movie, like I said forty five minutes before he has an emotion in this movie. Like this is a purposefully sort of stunted performance for so long of it and. That's like the 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 mastery of the performance, but it, it doesn't necessarily lead to as much uh, a variety and things we can talk about. But there are a few other moments I really liked. Uh, I, I like the way that uh, again that that scene at uh, what's the character's name for the the woman that is like the the social worker uh, Marilyn Birchfield uh, when he goes to Mrs. Birchfield's apartment and is out on the balcony and the like the loadedness of just the way he says we had a river in germany just like yeah like like that is on its face such a simple line but he really like embodies that line with the 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 implications of this is the first time he's opened up to anyone in 25 years like it it is it is such a powerful line for such a simple line and his like he sort of like says it in a trance almost it it is a uh, uh, he does a really good job of making that line like making the impact of that line feel uh, uh feel right i guess i, I think uh, rod steiger specifically in the, this year actually we will talk about his another performance this year yeah. but i think he's able to capture the in- nuances of the dialogue so yeah. beautiful that you can just see like any other actor he would play it larger or lower but he just understand the the strength of the words that he's saying and that yeah. is the very important thing for an actor to do which is a, a there's a funny bit on the wikipedia page that i thought was uh kind of interesting here uh, under like the casting section uh, uh steiger became involved in yeah. the project in 1962 something something uh he received $50,000 for his performance far lower than his usual rate because he trusted lumet with whom he had worked on television in the series You Are There. And then the next paragraph, uh, uh, Lumet initially had misgivings about Steiger being cast in the <laughs> lead role. He felt that Steiger, quote, was a rather tasteless actor, awfully talented, but completely tasteless in his choices. Like, it is kind of a funny comparison that, like, Steiger took the movie in part because he wanted to work with Lumet again, and Lumet was like, I don't think Rod Steiger is right for this <laughs> role. But then, that, like, then they had a conversation about the character and the performance and uh, like Steiger was, if not was the one that brought it up, certainly like uh, made a point 
to acknowledge that this performance would have to be vastly underplayed. And that was part of what made uh, Lumet like take him seriously yeah. for the role. Because like I said, Steiger had a, had a reputation for being big and being over the top. And like, uh, but like you look at some of the other names that were considered for this performance and I can't imagine any of Me them. Too. Like, no. uh, uh, Lumet's first, uh, First choice was James Mason, who no, I like um, ma- no, I, I, he will he will give the same performance that he gave in Lolita. Like that that's is true. that's the yeah that's the thing I am thinking about. Like immediately I was thinking about yeah. that inside it. The the one that I would be most fascinated to see because I I I just want to know what it would have been like because we we never really got a performance in this mode at all from this actor, but Groucho Marx was someone that wanted like he was considering it. and at this point he would have been you know, yeah. late in his career yeah. looking for a dramatic turn that could have been really interesting i think i don't know yeah. if it would have been as great as steiger but i i would have liked to see that one out of the others and then the others like Lawrence olivier would not have no, no. done this absolutely well. not uh La- Doug- Lawrence olivier Lawrence olivier gave a performance it would be look like uh what marathon man that performance that, yeah uh, that, that would be closer to this performance like he's he can do subtle performances but there is a little bit of like showmanship of his the british showmanship we will talk about Lawrence olivier oh, definitely. this this lineup like, actually yeah but there's a little bit of showmanship in his performances yeah, Olivier is certainly not the uh, the like subtle sort of method actor, and like Steiger also kind of prickled at the the uh, terminology of method actor, but like he certainly at least was more of a method actor than Olivier was. Uh, and then the other ones that they that I I, I at least read on IMDb as uh, people that were considered uh, Kirk Douglas, Burl Ives, and Paul Mooney, who I can't really no. imagine any of them either Kirk like, Douglas chin would be too distracting like how that that is Kirk Douglas is like an ultimate movie star it's like casting Tom Cruise in the serious drama like you cannot yeah. distra- distract him from that he's a good actor he's a, I love Kirk Douglas in a lot of films but he is not a chameleon type of an actor yes like you Rod Steiger from uh, from first scene to the next scene there, there's a time jump that we see and you just completely forget the first face that you saw yeah, that's that that much commitment of the performance he was seeing. Yeah. You forgot that he's not a very old person. Like, yeah, he's thirty nine making this movie. Oh, God. which I mean, uh, testament to the makeup. Which at a few points in this movie, watching it in twenty twenty four in HD, <laughs> you can see a little bit of the like, uh, the like yeah. edges the veins, of, of yeah, the... the veins and the short. But still, it, it's quite good compared to other things. Oh, definitely. Uh, have you seen Cat Balloon? I did watch Cat Baloo. Oh God, that, uh, the, the makeup in that film is insane. It, it, it. it, I mean, it's not even the most insane in this best actor lineup. Will uh, there's, there's, oh God, I the, forgot. I, I tried to forget that thing. But yeah, we will talk about it. Um, but I also just like speaking to the physicality of Steiger. Not just it's not just the makeup that makes this feel like a full transformation. Like in that first half of the movie. There is just like a hollowness to his eyes and a like tautness to his jaw. Uh, one of the like very opening shots, I think it's like while the credits are still going, yeah. the scene of him just in the car driving to work. Mm. And like, it's just a shot of him driving while you have the credits going. But like you look at his face and you are like, you can tell there's truly no internal life or at the very least, 
he is fighting hard for there to not be an internal life for there to not for him to not like feel anything to not emote to not register anything going on around him he is there he's conveying so much of that in just the way he's staring straight ahead the way he's he's just like i mean again so much of this performance is the way he's not I, reacting to things and it, it's really incredible i just wrote the, the moment you were talking about i just wrote in my notes that there's so much so much sadness in his eyes you cannot explain in words yeah like that is that is the thing like he, even sydney i have to give like sydney lube credit that he's able to take a performance out of this guy this type of performance out of lord striker because uh, you need an actor you need a director to, uh, to boost an actor with this that he has he's able to do this type of performance like oh, there's definitely like uh, i don't even understand like if we will talk about this lineup and none of the performance nominated here is this is giving this type of new and maybe maybe one performance but other than that there's not a lot of performance in 60s which are this nuanced and subtle oh certainly and like one of the other ones i would point to is another one i've talked about that's uh, also Sydney Lumet is uh, uh, Catherine Hepburn and Long Day's Journey and Tonight oh, yeah. like the, these two movies feel very paired emotionally and not just because it's Lumet and the same uh, dp and i imagine probably a lot of the other same crew but like just emotionally the way those movies visually depict a lot of the like bottled up emotions uh, at play in both of them is is really striking um a couple other moments from steiger again uh big moments that feel like well-earned uh payoff to the the very like simmering uh like i i wrote down i don't know if this is a, a metaphor that really tracks at all but like this is less of like a, a performance that's like a, a pot of water boiling over and more so like a balloon that's like very yeah. slowly getting filled with air and sometimes letting out a little bit, but like just building to a pop. The, at the, at the... There's a lot of tension between the scenes. Yes. That's the thing that you can, from the first, the way the film is structured even, like you don't understand that he's lost his family until I think about 50 minutes, right? Yeah, the it moment. takes a while for you to like really know, like so, you, can, so, you can guess, but like yeah, it, before it really uh, confirms like but, everything. But it's, in, but it's engaging the audience in that way. Like you are curious, there's a mystery in, in front of you that you have to solve it. So you are engaged to check out that I think the structure is also helping him to us uh, to appreciate his performance because we are hinged towards him a little bit every single moment of his face and every single uh, physical uh, gesture he's making is uh, connecting to our audience that what is what the hell is happening because it, the film is not telling you what is what has happened and what we, what is the backstory behind this guy definitely um uh, but th those other two moments that I did write down that are bigger moments that that feel earned uh when he's on the train and he has the the like i mean a, a lot of this performance uh there's or a lot of this movie there's moments here and there where like it'll really quickly cut back and forth between you know the current oh, action God. and some memory of his time in the concentration camps that uh is is being triggered by whatever he's experiencing and then it'll eventually show you more of that full scene and it, it's showing you that this character is having these flashbacks and having these uh, uh, moments and, and the moment on the train where he's oh, like God. getting claustrophobic and eventually it leads to the scene where his son has died. Uh, yeah. 
in the, in the train on the way to the camp. Uh, and the way that scene ends where he's like gotten himself off the train, it's a really like, again, it speaks to how well this, yeah. like this performance is measured and underplayed where you have the overlaid audio from the flashback of him shouting out his son's name overlaid over Steiger, just sort of like calmly reaching out towards the train as he's realizing what just happened in that he, you know, just left his train on the way home uh, because he was having this very intense sort of like breakdown. And I think it's one of the best representation of panic attack I have seen. Oh, in definitely. Like it, it just captures the, like for 30 seconds, your brain just mushed. His, uh, the world is completely, he's not able to differentiate between what is real and what is, what is real and what has happened to him because uh, the emotions that, he, that you get through every single second, like the claustrophobia reminds me of the, the horrors that he has gone through. Yeah. Like that is, oh God, we will talk about the filmmaking in this film because it's oh, yeah. incredible. I think it's quite incredible but yeah rod is able to convey that through his entire body language and without overplaying it because i think that's the key behind this entire performance it's no it's believable yet there's a little bit theatrics to uh, to engage the audience with the film definitely and then like to talk about the ending like the the oh. the moment that like I just get goosebumps thinking about it yeah. like that that final scene him just not able to cry the the, yeah. the the scream he's screaming inside his body like that is such a strange I have I have really not even think I have seen that type of performance in my life yeah you don't get a lot of like th this is a movie I'd seen before a while ago and I didn't remember a lot of the like specific plot machinations of it I remember the general you know overall uh, uh feeling of it I remembered really liking Steiger's performance I remembered moments here and there and I. This is a, a moment you can't forget. This yeah. this shot at the end when uh, Jesus has been shot and is dying on the street and Steiger is like leaning over him, holding him as he dies and then just like has this silent scream to the heavens. Yeah. Which, did you see uh, uh, what Steiger uh, took inspiration for for that? No, I, no, I didn't. It is the... Um, the the Picasso painting Guernica. Oh yeah, oh yeah, the, yeah. The let me pull up a picture of it. Uh, actually, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I just uh, remind. There's the um, the one uh, the, the the figure on the the far right of of the painting for anyone that's you know looking it up. Um, that's sort of like reaching to the heavens and contorted and twisted and with its head thrown back. Like that is what Steiger. Uh, looked to to you know get a feeling mm -hmm. for that which uh, it's an interesting little bit of inspiration uh but yeah yeah he, I mean, he very clearly did a lot of preparation for this performance oh, yeah. and it feel like the the accent alone so oh, often man. in this movie i forget yeah. i'm watching an american performer because it feels so just like not just lived in of oh this is a person that just speaks naturally with this accent but this is a person that has spoken with this accent and has like not spoken a lot in general for 25 years and is very measured with the way he speaks and with the things he says. And it just, everything about this performance feels so calculated, but not in a way that feels like it's 
flashy or it's, trying to impress you. It it's just very nationalistic. Like, yes, like very. Everything, every way, like every single word you you talked about accent. I I made a note about it that the accent work is so incredible that you cannot even able to guess his that is not his real voice. Yeah. Even when he's yeah. shifting the he, like usually you feel like when a lot of actors miss miss the tone or miss the note when they you, they do his accent when they are going for a higher note performance like for example uh, have you seen mayor of easttown i've not but i've uh, seen like clips yeah take kate winslet is quite good in that but you can just feel that he she's just trying she's putting some like she's saying water like water like there's little bit yeah. of punching up of this line which just sometimes come as distracting but here it's just like perfectly put together. Yeah, everything about this performance, even the moments that do a little bit feel like they're going to go too big, those are all earned. Those are all paid off very yeah. well. This is like, I, I maybe even was underselling it by saying it's one of the best performances I'll talk about on this show. It's one of the best performances nominated for an Oscar yeah. period, especially in in Best Actor. Like, maybe go so far as to say like a, top 10 nomination in the category ever it certainly feels like it it's i mean there's a lot of really good competition there but the, it is it is certainly of, of, is, certainly of performances yeah. that lost i would yeah. say like yeah, yeah yeah definitely like the uh, i think the other guy other person who is uh, can think about is uh peter or lawrence of arabia like that yeah. is similar type of but even that performance has a lot of like a flamboyant movement because peter because lawrence kind of homosexual character which we cannot put portray so he was a little bit flamboyant in that performance but uh here it's it's a brilliant performance like it's a type of performance that you usually like uh you see in like uh, international film festival getting in like it's a Cannes film festival best actor winning performance yeah like uh, you don't yeah. see Academy usually going for it. And I think there's a lot of underthink uh, parties going on this year's for Academy. That's why he get nominated. Yeah. yeah, it's a weird year for Best Actor. Not <laughs> just for who's there, but for who's not there, very pointedly. Yeah. Uh, really interesting. Um, it'll be interesting to talk about when we get to that category. Yeah, it is kind of a miracle that Stryger does get this nomination because, like, I'm for, for what the movie is, for what the performance is, uh, for the other performances. It's just, it's very strange. <laughs> a very strange year. Especially uh, in this decade. Like the yeah. 60s is known for like over the top heavy performances by lead actors. And winning Oscars. Like look yeah. at Cliff Robertson. Look at John Wayne. Look <laughs> at, uh, I guess those are the only like really hammy ones to win in this decade. Unless I'm forgetting something. Yeah. Uh, I mean, also, I mean, look at Lee Marvin. And Rod Steiger in, in uh, The Heat of the Night is quite an heavy performance, to be precise. Yes, but even that, <laughs> it's like more measured within the movie. Like, it's it's still big. It's still Steiger going yeah. big as he's wont to do. But like, relatively compared to like Robertson and Marvin, it is yes. is not uh, nearly as, uh, as as big as those. Um. Is there anything else we want to say specifically about Steiger? I imagine we'll still be talking about him yeah. as we go, but are there but, any like closing thoughts on him? Uh, well, I think 
it's quite impressive like an actor who's got, got like 70% of film screen time and yet you want to see more of him oh because yeah. usually because usually you get frustrated by an actor like for example this year i don't want to talk about a lot of this but uh, uh, bradley cooper in maestro i was like why you are in screen for so much time because it's not yeah. usually not <laughs> that is such a Maestro is such a weird film. Uh, we will talk about this performance in the, the filmmaking also because uh, if we talk about the film, he has to be mentioned throughout the film. Yes, certainly. Um, just sort of talking on Steiger's career in general, uh, he had been acting for a while here. He uh, he was the original Marty in the the teleplay of Ooh. of Marty before they made the movie. Uh, he does on the waterfront gets him his first Oscar nomination. He's kind of incredible in that film. Man. I haven't seen like, it in a while. I oh, I I don't remember him as well as I do most of the rest that, of that cast. But I he's I remember him being good. Oh man, especially that scene, that famous. I'm I I could have been contender. He yeah. I think he's the reason because that scene works. Like people give Marlon Brando a lot of credit, and he he's yeah. kind of incredible in that scene. But he's even. Even Rod Steiger make, uh, made that like he was not there. Like he has to act against nothing in that scenes. He was yeah. talking about it behind the scenes. Yeah, uh, he has good handful. Of, oh, on the waterfront was his second movie. I didn't realize that. That's crazy. Uh, uh, he's in a whole bunch of stuff. He's he sort of builds up a reputation as a character actor. Like that. That's one of the things that I had read that like he, he had this reputation at the time for being like a leading man who was a character actor who like embodied like the character actor trope because he never became like a Brando style, you know, yeah. like marquee idol. He, he, even when he was a leading man in these movies, he was still under the guise of a character actor. And so uh, for this performance to work, this performance has to be by somebody like that. This can't be like a Marlon Brando or an, a Laurence Olivier that would be too distracting as as the lead. Uh, and then obviously he has this performance and we've talked about it and we've talked about the acclaim it got. Also in this same year, which we'll talk about, he's in Dr. Chicago <laughs> in a very pivotal role. Um, yeah. And so he, uh, that is, uh, we'll we'll talk about that as well. Uh, or we can talk about that now. I don't know. He's in a, a couple yeah, we of movies. I think well. I think we should talk about Doctor Shivago performance because I think that is the performance because that's the because he kind of overtakes the film whenever he's in on. Yes. Yeah. He's like, in like. like I think he's in half an hour of the film, like starting uh, starting hour, and then like at the towards the end he comes and takes uh, away the film from. Everyone. Yeah. Uh, Man, what a I, what, I, what a what an asshole. <laughs> What a hero. Oh God, he 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 kind of reminded me of like a uh, Disney Channel villains. This Disney uh, a little bit villain. Like there's a lot of Jafar I can see in his that. Performance. I can see that. Yeah, it's a very like, but like it, and, it, it it's never like sniveling. Like oh, yeah. I'm gonna be evil. I'm gonna you know do all these. Like it's also like in a kind it's, of similar way to this very reserved for being man. such a such a I, like straight up villain like he he never makes that a performance of oh i'm going to play a villain and play it like a villain he he's he's much more restrained man he has such a good control on the language of that film like yeah. i think dr shiv the problem with dr shivago i i personally feel like the two leads are very uh are not able to convince the dialogue because the dialogue is very over the top and cinematic 
like yeah. i love umar yeah. sharif in that film but he kind of struggles when he's delivering the lines and dialogues i can see that yeah yeah it, it, i think it's it's because he's in like the english is in his third language yeah. so it's there's a kind of that and julie christie is basically scared in the entire film like it's yeah. a very low i just feel bad for that performance man like it, it it's a little bit like not out of her element but like that is because a, she's such I, a naturalistic actress yes. uh, if, you, if you look at like darling and the com- performance you compare it to uh, dr shivago that she's not able to convince that give give a, give a convincing performance that film. yes and uh, rod steiger just running a circles around everybody in that film. steiger and courtney especially uh, are are standouts of the supporting cast and courtney doesn't get a lot of screen time actually he like, doesn't but those few so scenes those those few <laughs> scenes that he has really really work i i really responded to that performance uh that that also He's, maybe should have won uh, I, I think it's it's also it's also the thing that uh, he's getting a basically James Bond makeup throughout the film like he got a big scar and then yeah. he has like, that's such a Dr. Shivago is such a weird it uh, it's a, it's a strange uh, I mean it is partially it, it, because I was watching for Rod Steiger but like I was much more engaged in the first hour of the movie where Steiger is you know a, a an actual presence in the plot and after that I was like Okay, I'm I'm still watching Doctor Zhivago, but there's still another two hours and twenty minutes after Steiger is effectively gone from most of the movie. So I, I was not as engaged after that at a certain no. point. Doctor Zhivago kind of feels like like a Bollywood film. Like I have seen a lot of Bollywood films, especially like a filmmaker, Indian filmmaker. His name was Yash Chopra. He used to make films like that. Like there's a very famous film named Veer Zara, which is kind of similar like this. Yeah, yeah, it came out in like two thousand four. It kind of reminded me of that. Like, it also had a, uh, like in India, there's India Pakistan conflict that it's making a love story around that film. Uh, it very much reminded Doctor Shivago is much much downbeat because David Lean is a very cynical filmmaker. Like every single film yeah. of his is a very cynical take, and uh, it's a Bollywood film. And Yash Chopra is a very uh, hard. kind-hearted filmmaker so it's it has a happy ending in that film uh, but That's but good. dr shiva dr shiva kind of reminded me of that film actually i kept thinking also of titanic like it feels oh, like yeah. very much the J- titanic J- of its time where like J- james cameron is also a bollywood filmmaker like yes, titanic yeah. is basically a bollywood film without dance and dance and song numbers that's fair that, um that's th- that's why it appeals to india a lot of indian nowadays yeah uh which is you know big romantic historical yeah. epic on like a pseudo historical backdrop uh tragic long not necessarily critically loved in its time like i mean titanic and dr zhivago both had their you know praises and whatever but like and they they both kind of had had a little bit of like critics looking skeptically at them like is and this they are really kind of the... corny movie like they're a little, little bit, bit corny type of film but yeah in a, in a positive way like not yeah, in oh, certainly like, And then they both make like a billion dollars, and oh, are, uh, I was uh, I was shocked how much money Doctor Shivago made. It's crazy, like, also, that it's like still it was today adjusted for inflation, one of the top ten highest grossing movies of all time. It's and it's still not even the highest grossing movie of nineteen sixty-five. Yeah, I I, I was thinking about it. Like it's like if Barbie and Oppenheimer this year made both of them made two point five million dollars. Like it's that is crazy. that crazy. It's crazy. It's a uh, very interesting uh, with that and the sound of music, uh, oh really sort of dominating all sorts of. 
and and it's also fascinating to see a love story like two love stories making that much money like you don't see that, that mean, people nowadays. love people love love stories people love going to long movies and having a lot of time to feel and that's uh have, have you noticed that lineup that all films are more than two and a half hour long that top 10 unadjusted films that doesn't surprise me um what what other uh yeah i guess yeah that does track wild like like the shortest film i think in that lineup was uh et i think that's the only two hour long film wait which one et and uh extraterrestrial et oh Oh yeah. So I was thinking of a different uh uh I got distracted there for a second. Um I thought we were talking about best picture in this year. No, no. But no, no the highest grossing. Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah that. Um is Star Wars still in that top 10? Yeah, Star Wars in this. Yeah, definitely. Star Wars is like number 4. It was really funny because uh, yeah. I was looking at that lineup like number 3 was Endgame and number 5 was Sound of Music, which is so weird to look at. Wild. Like, imagine- <laughs> it's a wild list it's it's truly insane to think about the movies that have like it has two james cameron films that. in that list yeah he's the only filmmaker who has two films in that crazy uh at this point we've kind of gone a little bit afield of steiger specifically is there anything else we want to say about him to close up that sort of conversation or do we want to move on to the rest of the movie uh, we will talk about the rest of the film, but because Rod Steiger is the film, but, and we yeah. are we both agree that it's a phenomenal performance. Oh, like, absolutely, you cannot... undeniably. We'll we'll still have a lot to say about him. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, uh, let's uh, talk about some of the rest of the movie. What can I do for you? Nobody won. My diamond engagement ring. I want to borrow. It's glass. Glass? You said it was real? Uh, I want to start off talking about uh, the cinematographer of this movie. Oh, uh, God. Uh, Boris Kaufman, who I didn't realize was uh, the younger brother of Ziga Vertov, the Soviet filmmaker uh, which was I, really interesting uh, and then the, there no, was I didn't another, another brother i think mikhail kaufman who was also a cinematographer uh but he shot this he uh he won an oscar for on the waterfront uh speaking of oh, the waterfront. Uh, that's also, a phenomenal yes that's a beautifully short film beautiful uh it was also nominated for baby doll which i haven't seen the which is yeah. oh elia kazan i think i'm pretty sure i don't know elliot kazan has made so many films in yeah these men um but uh, Kaufman was also the DP on 12 Angry Men and Long Day's Journey into Night, which is why those three movies look yeah. so good. And and like the way this movie is shot is incredible, incredible. Just, and like just incredible. There's like kineticism throughout the film. Like there's really? it, it's like every single shot is so dynamic and there's a, a stack. Staginess, but in a very smart way. Like it, yeah. every single character is so beautifully staged and uh, organized that you, you there's a shot. Like uh, specifically, I reminded of the last scene when Rod goes to uh, the lady's house. Uh, I forgot yeah. the character's name. That there's a there's entire both of the reaction shots you can see in, in one single frame. There's not a short reverse shot of that scene. Yeah, like, uh, uh, it's a, so beautifully staged, and, and the, I, even. I was shocked the handheld photography in this film. Like, there's a lot of running shots of uh, through the street, and it looks so dynamic and thrilling at times. 
yeah it, it, it's a uh a, when, when the camera moves it doesn't really draw attention to itself but it, it's all with a purpose um the way the pawn shop is shot i also want to shout out the oh god the production design by Richard Silver, uh, which like, I mean, the production design, even just of the pawn shop is incredible with like all of yeah. those grates up everywhere. Like that, that was a, an intentional thing that this movie does, not just in there, but like hmm. so much of the production of this movie is intended to feel like a jail. Like specifically with like the, the yeah. like grates of the, the walls of the pawn shop at uh, Brock Peters's apartment, just the, big art piece in the background that's just yeah. like a massive grate um uh there's like a, a shot where uh Saul is walking through the street and there's just like a building under construction that is the same sort of like graded like slats of it um there's a shot when he goes to uh the apartment uh, uh Birchfield's apartment that's just like him looking down at the um the like rows of elevator buttons yeah that feels so imposing oh, and, and so just like nauseating in just the way the camera sort of moves down it um and not to mention all of the close-up shots on Incredible. like not not just on steiger but like on any of the the other uh, uh actors in this movie it's all so Beautiful. I think the lighting of this the, film is yes. incredible. I was like, about to mention that some like, of the best lighting I had seen in like 1960s cinema. In it's, any it's cinema. so yeah. Uh, the thing is, uh, I I am a huge Sidney Lumet fan, so I used to yeah. listen to his lot of his interview. He usually when he makes a film, he find a theme that he has to take through. Like I think in, in this film, his main uh, main motive is to show incarnation of the character. Incarnation. I am not able to speak that word. Uh, you uh, know, yeah, prisoner, uh, in, prisoner incarceration. Yeah, in, incarceration yeah. of the character throughout the film. So every single shot is framed in the way that you can feel that he's in the jail or he's in some kind of confinement. Yes, uh, uh, and like the, just it's such a simple thing to have yeah. all of these fences and grates around him, especially in the pawn shop where you have this very dynamic lighting and very like. I mean, stage. You're not going to yeah. have, like, in quote unquote real life, this room, this building wouldn't be lit like this, but it's a movie and it's it's supposed to look like a movie. And the way the lighting just, like, hits his face, the, uh, whether it's through the grate and you have the very literal, like, slats of the light and shadows on him or not, whether, whether or not you have that, it's so confined and so uh, just, like, oppressive visually. Uh, it's uh, real. It's really, really striking. Um, I I used to say like Sidney Lumet is usually considered as a very realistic filmmaker. I don't think he's a realistic filmmaker. I think he's a stylish realistic filmmaker. Yeah. Like the same way I think Michael Mann is kind of stylish realism. There's a lot of realism in his film and his character are very grounded. But there's a little bit of panache and style in every single film he's made. Like Network, New York doesn't look like that. The way the oh, yeah. Network is shot. But there's the groundedness between the look of the film. You can just truly indicate that it it grounds you in the reality of the world, and yet it's very stylish in the presentation of the situation. Even Twelve Angry Men, which is oh yeah, all in one room, like oh, it, it's like it, it's hard to make a one room confined thing like that feel no. 
like you're doing something stylish with it. But he's doing 12, something stylish with that. Twelve Angry Men has some of the best staging, short composition staging it's incredible. ever. It's like incredible. even every single frame you can see like reaction shot and shots and same shot. And uh, the way a character is placed is the importance of the character. Like that is just if you want to know how what stage simple staging if a director want to know how staging can affect the emotion of a scene, just watch Twelve Angry Men. That is like that. Every single Lumet film has that. Like even absolutely, the, even some of his later work has that type of. Like he become more rapid editing. The editing style of his film changes with his time, but uh, I think uh, he's able to capture the uh, the short. Here's the thing, man. The usually people say cinematography and they consider how pretty a film looks. Like yeah. last year, if, if not this year, the year before that, the, all five pictures that was nominated, I think the tar was the only film that is shot in a very stylish way, and yet it's it showcased the character motivation. Yeah. Other than yeah. that, like I don't understand why Elvis was nominated for cinematography. Other than it looks pretty. I I I get it to a degree, but yeah, but the, it's the... like oh, so over the top, and the, all quite in the Western Front win is so yeah, that was bad. Yeah. why are you doing it was a weird that was a really weird category because then you also had bardo which yeah bardo is like the most most cinematography you will ever see in your life god who shot that one it was somebody i darius kanji shot that darius kanji and it's also darius kanji's second second nomination come on after evita which is uh and then the cinematographic category is just insane. Like, I, yeah, this year well, at least they they at least nominate four good films and Maestro. Yeah. But uh, yeah, last like, year that, like the Batman got nominated, right? No, no, no that, was, was that, that was a sound nomination. That was the sound, sound nomination. It, Batman didn't got nominated nomination. Uh, Empire it, of Light for Deacon, oh which was didn't even look good. It's just because there was oh. one shot that was on the poster that was at yeah. night with neon lights. Like that movie doesn't even look. Like Deacon it, shot it. It. it looks like it looks like B B take role from his other films. Like it you can make him. Ba- it was a movie that looked bad. That movie just didn't. And it like has such a bad color palette. Like yeah, what is that? It's still so weird that they didn't nominate Top Gun Maverick, which was winning oh, everything. Yeah. Like yeah, it's insane. Like straight that, up insane. They they put camera in the in uh, flying jet. That's for that in one that they should have nominated that film. Is, did, was there another one that I'm forgetting then? Because it was... I think Bardo got nominated. This Bardo, was... All Quiet, Empire of all Light, quiet, Empire. Tar, uh, and Elvis. Tar okay, and yeah, Elvis, so that is all yeah. fine. Um, I think yeah. they nominated Elvis because they have to... There's a weird thing nowadays because they... I don't want to talk about this, but they tried to nominate a female cinematographer. Yeah, they did that. only the third, I think? Third uh, one in the history. history which of, is crazy. Uh, um, and it they started the first one was for a uh, uh, mudbound yeah, that came out like tw- mudbound right? and power of the dog and then elvis yeah. and like elvis doesn't look bad it, it's certainly doing it's, the, it's a baz lerman thing it's doing the baz lerman thing but i think yeah. there are it it is doing some interesting things with lighting with the way it's it's shooting but like empire of it, the light is just staggering even yeah. i think deacon's just throwing shade at oscar a week before that you did yeah. an interview that why why nominate this type of film and why are not nominated batman and his film was nominated in that category crazy crazy um 
how did we get on that? Oh yeah, the pawn uh, cinematography. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk about some of the craft categories at the Oscars this year. I haven't seen a lot of the black and white movies that are nominated in these categories. I I have seen the win the film that won this year, and uh, we will talk about it. Which one won cinematography? Uh, ship, black and white. Ship of Fools. Ship, ship of, of Fools. Fools. Right. Right. I didn't see that one. I I, I did not get around to that one, but uh, uh I imagine we'll we'll have thoughts about it. Um, I I. I at this point, mostly looking at my notes, I'm like trying to bring up the other little things I want to mention before we get to. Can like, we talk about the editing of the film? Yes, editing mm-hmm. is. Uh, it's. It was uh, something I, I wanted to bring up while we were talking about it earlier. In those those like panic attack shots, it does a really good job of, like it, it is editing it. It's very flashy editing, but in yeah. in a way that has a purpose. Where you have those scenes, uh, especially the scene like the 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 reason that this movie was controversial in its time that i i kind of want to keep dancing around before we get to it <laughs> um but the way it's cutting back and forth between what's happening in the present and what he's remembering and what he's picturing in the past is is so fast and so quickly cut that like at first it feels jarring and yeah. then when you sit with it for a second it's supposed to be jarring because that that is how this sort of panic attack feeling it's all subliminal he's not really it's not like oh this thing is reminding me of this other thing it's this thing is evoking a deep like emotional response that isn't just going to immediately it takes time to process and you're watching him process it in real time for film which is a medium that is so objective in in what it shows you like it like yeah. just by the nature of film existing it, it is very hard to convey a subjective experience on film that's maybe the best way i've ever seen to make it you know feel like the the subjective feeling of having a panic attack progressively over the course of like two minutes i think uh, the editing pattern is very unique because it's it's showing the how he's repla- replacing the memories and yeah. as he's remi- remembering the memories as he's making um, um of his past the mem- the flashback becomes large uh, the flashback time periods become larger and larger like it's it cuts from the second shot like a frame of flashback to a se- entire sequence of flashbacks because he's suppressed that memory it kind of reminds me a lot of like uh, the way Terrence Malik uses uh, fla- use flashbacks and the, the way he uses the dream, his dream type of narrative sorting. It's kind of reminding me of that, like, that. And also in like uh, modern day Christopher Nolan films, he uses yeah. flashback in the similar manners. Like in Oppenheimer, he uses that flashback technique and yeah. the rapid cuts in the similar fashion. Yeah, it's very like subliminal and like, like we as the audience can like, very quickly see yeah. something, but like we're, we're not it's even a, really registering it. So we're it's also the fla- we're it's the flash in- of memory, memory flash that's just coming yeah. in front of you. Like it's and, almost like one fourth of a second. Like it's a one frame of the shot. Yeah, it's the flashback, and it really like puts us in his perspective of you know we're we're seeing things as he's remembering them and as he's experiencing them and as he's very slowly unearthing those memories. It's a very interesting way that it. It presents that, and it's just a well-edited movie in general. Oh, man. Even yeah. aside from those big flashy moments, like there's, there's, uh, there's the the subtlety in the editing. I, I 
which is a hard thing to mention like oh let's talk about the subtlety let's talk about yeah. the edits we didn't notice but like as the very as Thelma's, well as Thelma's schoolmaker once said like if if you notice the editing then editing is not right you the editing yeah. should flow through the movement and she's kind of making fun of herself because she's also a very flashy editor but i understand what she's going through i was talking about the way the two uh, storylines uh, the uh, rod steiger's character and his uh, co-workers so yeah. both are going to parallel storyline through editing they are able to make especially the, the sex thing that happened in the middle yes. of the film yeah there, that is the, just incredible filmmaking which can also bring me into the other thing i wanted to mention like the the that editing back and forth is really interesting because you're cutting back between uh, Jesus and his girl who I don't think has a, a name I think she's just credited as Jesus's girl um, oh. and they're in bed and they're being very sweet together and very loving uh, and put a pin in that section because and then it's cutting mm-hmm. back to uh, Saul uh, Steiger's character and his best friend's wife who the friend wife, yeah. the friend died. he's the one that's climbing up the, the fence and yeah. uh, gets like attacked by a dog and gets shot uh and they have like sort of come together over the years uh since like that's a a, a plot line that isn't as explored in this movie there's i i think just sort of from skimming the wikipedia page the book gets more in depth into their relationship and his relationship with his uh sister-in-law and her family his uh, uh, wife's sister. Yeah. We only see in the very opening of the movie. We never see them again, which is yeah, an interesting just... decision. Uh, but like, we get more of both of that in the book. Uh, but in, in, in the scene, you're, you're seeing them lying together. And the only thing you're hearing in their scenes is just like a, a, a ticking clock. Yeah. And it's very stark in contrast to when we, when we're cutting back to uh, uh, Jesus and his girl, uh, uh, it's Soul Bossa Nova, which did take yeah. me a little bit out of the movie. Like, the <laughs> yeah, music. Yeah. Uh, but, like, I was just saying that. The, the reason that's on this soundtrack, uh, because that was, uh, I think, from a, like, a couple years prior, it was on one of Quincy Jones's albums. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't written for this movie. But Quincy Jones did do the score of this and the arrangement and the, the conducting. This was his first film that he yeah. did music for. Yeah. Uh, and it is. Um, really good. Uh, it's an inc- I mean it's Quincy Jones so it's not like we're we're not saying anything <laughs> new about Quincy Jones knows how to make music but like goddamn Quincy Jones knows how to make music I think it's the the specific the thing I love about the score it's very reactive to the film it's not uh, yeah gauging the film it's reacting to the emotions of the film it's not the, guiding the film's emotions certainly the one that I I really <laughs> took note of uh is at the very end where he's Having the like sort of he's uh it's after Jesus has been shot, uh, and he's like sort of holding his hand over the receipt spike, uh, and he's having the like images flashing in uh, in his mind of all of the different people that he's hurt, uh, of Jesus and uh, Mrs. Birchfield and the guy with the like oratory uh, 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 statue. And the guy who wants to talk about philosophy that he cuts down, and the pregnant girl who tries to sell her diamond engagement. Oh God, that's and scene. he tells her it's glass, like without even looking up, which is an, a, a really incredible stri- for a character that has one scene in the oh. movie. She's incredible, uh, but like you're cutting back and forth between all these people. Uh, 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 what's her name? The the uh, the wife, uh, the or the the friend's wife. Um, 
it is cutting to her and her father, who's played by Sidney Lumet's father, uh, who like oh. disapproves of him and eventually dies. And you're cutting between all of this. And as this all is happening, uh, Quincy Jones's score is like big and atonal. And there's like brass and there's saxophone and there's piano. And it's all sort of going counter to each other. And even with all that, even with it being this big brassy, like conflicting score, it all feels organic. It all, yes, it feels precise. It feels like yeah. this isn't Quincy Jones just saying, and now just do music and make it <laughs> like it all feels like every single little specific moment of that score is what was composed to go against this, it, yeah. it's a very it, it, it's measured chaos which is yeah. hard to pull off and to do that for your very first film score like that is there's a reason Quincy Jones is like maybe, is Quincy Jones. maybe the greatest musician <laughs> uh, mu- greatest musical mind of the 20th century like it's it's an incredible incredible score from him and uh, really well utilized throughout the movie but that part in particular just really speaks to the confidence of Quincy Jones being able to just like pull that off right out the gate. Uh, we were talking about the production and uh, I think the uh, concentration camp is quite well done. Like it, yes. it feels very realistic. Yeah. Like usually concentration camp, I, I think uh, comes across kind of phony. Like if you think about uh, what the film, what the stupid film. from Life, Life is Beautiful. Yeah. Oh. I, I had the exact same <laughs> thought like that, like that, that concentration camp in Life is Beautiful feels like a set. Feels yeah, like it, like it's so so pristine, so clean. And then like the very few shots in this movie where you do get the camp, like it, it is grungy. It is it is like hobbled together. It it, it really like it is. It's just it's and it's kind of, and it's kind of incredible for like a small scene for like I think for more less than two minutes of screen time they build the entire thing. Yeah, like you don't see that type of commitment nowadays towards the set design. Certainly. Um, but do we want to talk about the the controversy and yeah. talk about? Yeah, so, we, should, we have to we have to talk about it. Yeah. So, uh, and not like uh, uh I mean, con- controversy for the time. Uh, but you know, in a uh a positive note, uh, a positive way of uh uh controversy. Where let let me find the, I'm just gonna read from this. There's a section on the Wikipedia page under production code controversy. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to uh, uh, sort of summarize and, and skim it. Uh, the film was controversial on initial release for depicting nude scenes in which actresses Linda Geyser and Thelma Oliver fully exposed their breasts. Uh, the scene was intercut with the flashback to the concentration camp in which Nazarman is forced to watch his wife and other women raped by Nazi officers. Uh, the... Oh, that's the Catholic Legion of Decency. I don't care about that. Um, <laughs> the scenes resulted in conflict with the Motion Picture Association of America, which administered the Motion Picture Production Code. The association initially rejected the scenes showing bare breasts in a sex scene between Sanchez and Oliver, described it as unacceptably sex-suggestive and lustful. Uh, despite the rejection, uh, Landau, who uh, uh, Ellie Landau, the producer, uh, arranged for Allied artists to release the film without the production code seal, and New York censors licensed the pawnbroker without the cuts demanded by the code administrators. On a six-to-three vote, the uh, MPAA granted the film an exception, conditional on quote reduction in the length of the scenes with the production code ad- administration found un- unapprovable. The exception to the code was granted as a quote special and unique case. 
and was described by the New York Times as at the time as an unprecedented move that will not, however, set a precedent. Uh, the requested reductions of nudity were minimal and the outcome was viewed in the media as a victory for the film's producers. But this movie gets cited yeah. the, from here on out as like not striking the first blow, but like striking a major blow that would eventually lead to the Hayes Code it's being failure. Uh, uh, you know, taken out and, of circulation. And how how can you get the l- lustfulness out of that scene? Like, come on, that is it's, one of the most saddest scenes of I have ever seen. By it's life. crazy. It, it it's I mean, it really just speaks to how prudish, yeah, society and specifically it, the MPAA. It's horrifying. Like the flashback scene, it's completely horrifying. The way, like, it shows how messed up the character is that he cannot get any kind of uh, happiness or any kind of emotion out of uh, even as like it's it's insane that they they call it lustful. Yeah, like I mean, you remove that scene as a whole, and it completely changes the movie and changes the character. But like, you even remove the nudity from that scene, you. It needs to. This movie needs to confront you with Definitely. all of that. It, it is. It's a, uh, it's a hard hitting movie. It doesn't pussyfoot around any other thing. So why would they go around this thing? It's like it's yeah. not shocking for the sake of sake of shocking. It's showing the reality of the horrors that he this guy went through. Yeah, it it is it is necessary for the the deep emotional uh, story. And for just for I mean, I I don't know. It, it's it's a it's a well done, movement. and uh, it's tasteful, especially for the time. Like it, it and the way it it ends, the way he like yeah. when he does finish with the flashback, basically, and uh, uh, like sort of gets up and and throws his coat over her over uh, Thelma Oliver, and she leaves, and he just sort of like has another like sort of big emotional growl to the heavens of like just like the the intensity of the moment it's a it feels appropriate it doesn't feel again like steiger's going over the top for the sake of going over the top it is it's just a it's a very well done moment and very 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 uh it just adds to the tonality of the movie uh as a whole i i guess um, so weird. I was uh, I I wrote down like what do you think of the third the final the ending of the film like the emotional ending is right but I think the entire like we have to rob this pawn shop sequence just comes out like little bit uh, underdeveloped. I think that's the that's the part that I'm not very sure about. It's a little bit like we need an ending. We need an ending, and we need to. I mean, it's certainly not subtle that we're we're having the character named jesus named jesus (laughs) die in the arms of this man who has been so disillusioned and and so you know persecuted for being jewish like that that is it's certainly not the the most uh uh subtle way to do that but like it also feels like like a lot of these stories and a lot of very similar of the time mo- uh, movies and books and whatever have the young bright uh like uh uh optimistic Characters, character yeah. that dies at the end like that that is a a staple of a lot of storytelling of this era so i i 
I understand it on that level. Like, it, it, yeah, I I was a little bit like confused. The entire like, I think Zeus as a character is quite underdeveloped compared to Lord's yeah. character because I mean, all the uh, other characters. Yeah, are it's it's a it's a one character focused film, so I understand yeah. that. But the entire high sequence they were planning, I was like, I am very less interested in what is happening right now. Yeah, like that that entire sequence like the least interesting part of the film. Yeah, so that's that may be the reason. behind it but uh, like well, it, it's so well done like the atmosphere and the world building of this film is so incredible that i want to be make it even longer i want to be like two yeah. and two and a half hour film so it can expand over the thing but i understand they want to just have a finale type of like at least have an uh, a character or story arc catharsis towards the end yeah. for a film like that like i i also don't know how to end this type of film like the, how can you end the film like this Yeah, that's the other thing. Like you kind of can't uh really It's a basically character drama and the either you have to kill Zeus or kill the Rod's character and I think killing him kind of miss the point of the film. Yeah, like that that's even a thing that uh, uh Raymond Saint-Jacques is like the the lead bad guy. Not the lead bad yeah. guy because that's Brock Peters, but like of this sort of like trio of of uh, uh do wells that uh Jesus is friends with. um or is associated with um associated. he's the one that like or no i guess it is brock peters in that scene i'm th- mm. i'm thinking i'm conflating the two scenes at the end where they they're coming in <laughs> uh where brock peters who's the like sort of like big bad mafioso mafia yeah the owner is, of pawn shop yes i mean the the pawn shop is a front for mafia money yeah. that's just sort of like a thing that is peppered throughout and he's coming to collect some papers that need to be signed and yes. coming to collect his money uh and he's threatening Steiger and he has his like sort of second command beat him up and then Steiger's like you're going to have to kill me and Peters has the moment of like oh well that's what you want isn't it you want to die you die so you will die but it's going to be when you like the moment you don't want it that's when it's going to happen like he 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 denies him that death in execute scene so like, of his life yeah so like it would feel cheap to have not cheap but like it would be a character in consistency of it yeah for this character to die in the end it would be a more optimistic ending and yeah. this movie is not interested in giving uh, a truly optimistic man. ending like the uh, when the film and i was not able to move from my place there was so in shock because it's the first time i ever watched this film actually like i yeah. i was interested because of sydney lumet but i was not prepared for the emotional carnage this film is and we were we just talk about that the girl see the girl giving him the ring scene that is a horrifying scene yeah like, i mean just, it, it, there's so much <sighs> of that like like that's a, another big character trait that we didn't talk as much about but like he's he's not just like shut down and like you know quiet and reserved and sad like he's shut down and deeply cynical and deeply like yeah. un, like i mean he he says like he I hate he, everyone he he thinks everyone else is scum uh yeah. he doesn't care about anything except money like literally he's like he has a whole sort of speech of like that feels in a way like i mean the the, the movie is certainly not not of its time in terms of racial depictions and, yeah. and uh, uh, all that and it, there is but, it's a bit it's loaded of... in having this jewish character 
talks so much about how like the only thing he cares about is money. But even that feels like a character trait that is developed as, oh, well, this is the stereotype that you people feel about me. I'm going to lean hard into that. I'm going yeah. to like, if that's what you think of me, that's what I'm going to become like to the the nth degree. Like it feels like and that I, is baked into the character more so than the movie presenting it as a stereotype. Yeah, I think, uh, and that's that's why the death of Zeus is important because he he takes that character trait that he's like he's not a very good person. So I will tear off this guy. Like yeah. that's the finale sequence. And uh, compared to other films from that time, like in the heat of the night, I think it's quite well done as compared oh, to films. And like, like I like the, the heat of the night too. But in the heat of the night feels a very sexy type of film, like yes. with his politics and characters. Yeah, that's very much of its time, and this movie is very much ahead of its time. I I think like Sidney Lumet. The thing about Sidney Lumet is like he's a very seventies filmmaker from his first film to like even in his eighties films. Like, have you seen The Prince of the City? I have not. I, I think the, the only movies of his that I've seen post like network are uh, uh, For the Devil Knows You're Dead and Running on Empty, unless I'm forgetting something. Running on Empty is very good. I think uh, the uh, the Prince of the Prince, Prince of the City is incredible, especially in nowadays. Like, it's an anti-cop cop thriller from 80s. Yeah. Like... Oh, uh, I Okay, never mind. I've seen, like, several other movies post-network. Yeah, because Equus, you don't... The think... Wiz... And Death yeah, Trap I mean, and I, The I, Verdict and The Morning After, obviously. Okay, yeah, there's a lot more of these that I've... He made a lot of films, actually. Like, you really can... did. You can see half of his film and still miss how... Like, don't know half of his filmography, especially yeah. in the earlier times. Like, I don't know about a lot of his 60s films. Like, I have not seen his work with uh, uh, Sean Connery's films. Like, uh, yeah, I haven't either. There's heard, so like, many oh, of these movies. Wow. <laughs> he's, he was a prolific man. But... Very crazy so many of these uh sorry i i interrupted you what, what he, was... he worked with vin diesel actually like that's also his like name a guy who can work with uh, what's the name of the lead character in 12 angry men henry fonda yeah from he worked from henry fonda to ben diesel that's the range of the guy exactly you love to see it um yeah this is i mean it's an, incre- an incredibly well-directed movie like, yeah. like lumet has a real handle on all like it's a very specifically like the the tone of this movie is so hard to pull off and he makes it seem so effortless and so easy to make it to to walk that tightrope like it, it feels so it confident. could have been really monotonous if it's not it's not or, really well directed or like, really like not like, uh, I think well. uh, it could have really not aged well and it does like, for the Sydney, this kind of reminds me like uh, I was very interested in Todd Phillips when he was making Joker that he was very much inspired by Sidney Lumet. And I can see his, like, specifically, like, this film is a very good example. If you compare it, this film to Joker, that how subtle this film is compared to that film. Yeah. Yeah, this is, uh, uh, certainly feels more, more everything than Joker yeah. uh, in a lot of ways. And I like Joker. Like, I'm one of those weird people who kind of like that film. But come on, this is the much better movie. Yeah. Um, I didn't take that. I didn't take as many notes on this one, even though I... Oh, there, uh, another shot that I wrote down, uh, speaking to the cinematography, when you have uh, Raymond St. Jacques and his two sort of cronies, when they first show up with the lawn... Oh, God, that, that white shot. The, so but incredibly. like the the shot mounted on the lawnmower yeah. 
being pushed in like that's it's, it's a white dolly shot it kind of reminds me like one car wife film like that's yeah so you yeah but it's very like nationalistic at the same time i don't know how he's able to do that certainly um i don't have as much to say about the rest of the cast it was nice to see brock peters who i uh yeah i love he's uh, uh tom robinson in to kill a mockingbird he was in the L-shaped room, which I covered way back on the show, and is very good in that. Apparently, at least according to I think it was like Variety, uh, according according to Wikipedia, according to Variety, that uh, yeah, Variety considered Brock Peters the first actor to portray a confirmed homosexual character in an American yeah, film. That was uh, so odd. Which I I I, yeah, I I didn't didn't notice that. <laughs> that I mean, like yeah. like one. It's so weird. Like there's like to, one shot of a guy going to his room. Yeah, there, there's a there's this like blonde guy that I don't think yeah. even has any lines that you see twice in the two scenes in his apartment. Um, that I guess it is supposed to be. Impl- I mean, in as much as you can have a character in a 1964 uh, production movie be confirmed gay, like uh, that is. I get. I bet. I guess as good as you can get at the time. Yeah. Uh, and this film is already pushing the limits for the films. Yes, in in a lot of different ways. Uh, but uh, just an interesting little note there because also in the L-shaped room, he's playing a character that in the book was gay, but in the movie, at, I I don't remember specifically, but I think at best is implied, and oh. maybe just isn't. Maybe maybe in the movie, I I, I don't remember. It's been a while since I've done that one, but. Uh, just an interesting little, uh, uh, and he's really good in this. In his few scenes, yeah. he's, he's I think good and intimidating. Yeah, good. yeah. I oh, ever, yeah. The thing about Cindy Lumet that uh, is quite impressive that he used to do stage perform like uh, stage practice before the actors do because before the scene films are out. Like uh, he used to practice the actors how he's going to block or shot his film before he's going to shoot the film. So it's kind of help. I think he's able to get some good performance out of his actors because of that. Oh yeah, even down to like, like the one scene performances of the the people coming into the pawn shop. Like hmm. every little performance in this is is really something else. Uh, is there anything else we want to say about the movie in general, or do we want to move on? Because I. Like I said, didn't take all that many notes because I was just so engrossed by the movie. Yeah, it's a it's a film that you don't have to study; you have to just feel it. Like that, that's yes. the thing. Oh, it's a very deeply emotional movie. Yeah. No, I was talking that you have to just let go everything to be. You have to become completely get. It's a very heavy film, but you have to commit to this film. Like yes, it's meet it on the level that it's it's. Yeah asking you to meet it out it's, like this, it's a very emotionally vulnerable movie like, yes. you usually don't see it nowadays usually you make movies to win oscar or just make money like yeah. this, this is doing neither of that yeah. i don't think they were expecting to get a, even like lord sager's nominee uh, there's one thing i want to know that why this film is considered like in 1964 i was looking at imd it's it because was, of the berlin film festival in 64 uh, so it it didn't get released up to like 1965, right? Yeah, uh, it, I think it was literally just Berlin in 64, and then okay. every other release is in 65. Uh, okay. But they go by festival releases uh, for a lot of the things like that. Um, no, I had something else I was about to mention uh, from that. Uh, yeah, okay, he won yeah. best actor, right? It, he that did win best actor at Berlin. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I was gonna say. Uh, 
like we've been talking about this movie for an hour and a half, but we've barely really scratched the surface of what makes it so great. So like if you've been listening this far and you haven't watched the movie, uh, it is absolutely worth your time. It's like an hour 50. I think hour 50 minutes. Yeah. Hour 55 with credits. It's uh, I mean, you can rent it uh, yeah. for like three bucks on whatever your preferred platform is. Uh, definitely watch it it's it's, yes. it's a must watch it's uh, as you said it's one of the best films that you cover in this lineup like if you are a fan of this podcast you have to watch this film yeah it, it's is it's really good uh is there anything else we want to say here or do we want to move on i think we should talk about the oscars because i think it's quite an interesting year uh, for the best performance by an actor in 1965 the nominees are oscar verner in ship of fools Richard Burton in The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, Rod Steiger in The Pawnbroker, Laurence Olivier in Othello, and Lee Marvin in Cat Baloo. So, uh, this has a, a pretty pretty uh, compelling uh, run, even though, like you said, I can't imagine they were really trying to make this movie with the Oscars in mind, because, like, mm. especially w- when you're putting in uh, nudity in a movie in 1965, uh, and then not budging on that, like, yeah. and then you know, going against the MPAA to like really put that in there, like you are making a statement more so than you are trying to cater to Hollywood. But uh, definitely, uh, it, even even still, it still had a its its share of recognition. Uh, like we said at the Berlin Film Festival, it played in competition, didn't win the Golden Bear. That went to something called Dry Summer. But Steiger does win Best Actor, and it's the runner up. Uh, for the Fripreski Prize, which I, or Fripreschi, I guess would be, well, no, Fripreski, because it's Berlin. Um, I was thinking uh, Venice for a second, uh, yeah. uh, uh, the Italian pronunciation of that, because it looks like an Italian word. Um, the Director's Guild, Lumet is nominated for Best Director, uh, oh. loses to Robert Wise and Ridgeway Callow for The Sound of Music. Oh, also obviously. nominated there, John Schlesinger for Darling, uh, Schlesinger and Wise are the only two Oscar crossover because you have Lumet, you have Elliot Silverstein for Cat Ballou, uh, and Sidney <laughs> J. Fury for the Ipcrest file. Uh, Cat Ballou getting a director's and, Yeah, like it's not I mean, a director's film. I mean, Cat it's Ballou a fun getting, film, but yeah, it's a Is fun it? film, but so weird, man. Like, we'll t- it we'll talk about it. We'll talk about yeah. it. Uh, the Golden Globes, Rod Steiger is nominated for Best Actor in a Drama. Loses to Omar Sharif for Dr. Zhivago, notably not nominated for the Oscar. We will talk about it. Uh, also here, uh, Oscar Werner for uh, Ship of Fools, and then Sidney Poitier for A Patch of Blue, and Rex Harrison for The Agony and the Ecstasy. Uh, BAFTA, uh, Steiger wins Best Foreign Actor, and it's nominated for the UN Award, which seems to be like a like a political... I mean, yeah. it's a UN, uh, It feels uh, like that. Yeah. And like looking at the other nominees here, it loses to the War Game, which is the uh, the like pseudo documentary about what if there's a nuclear attack on the UK, which I haven't seen, but seems fascinating. Uh, the Writers Guild it wins Best Written American Drama, uh, beating out The Collector, A Patch of Blue, Ship of Fools, and The Spy Who Came In from the Cold. Uh, New York Film Critics Steiger uh, in a tie with Lee Marvin is the runner up in Best Actor to Oscar Werner, uh, and it's a runner-up in Best Film to Darling. Uh, and then there's a couple other, like like the Laurel Awards and the Bodil Awards and a few other things on the IMDb page that I didn't write down. Uh, mm-hmm. But then in 2008, 
uh, it was one of the uh, selections for the National Film Preservation Board, uh, which I think I've only ever done one other movie that's on that list, uh, Little Big Man, or at least one other that I remember noting in the episode. It's uh, a viewer list. Uh, yeah, but the others in this, in that 2008 crop uh, include The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad and The Asphalt Jungle, Deliverance, A Face in the Crowd, In Cold Blood, The Invisible Man, Johnny Guitar, The Killers, Sergeant York, and The Terminator, among others that I didn't write down. But like, just looking at some of the like bigger titles that were in there, uh, interesting list, interesting crop of movies uh, uh, to have in there. I haven't seen all of those, but... Uh, I heard like Johnny Guitar is very good. It's very good. Johnny Guitar is a lot of fun. Like I have not seen it, but like everybody says, but it's, but good. it's like, good. The name is the only bad thing about that film. Uh, but even then, like it's the name of a character <laughs> in the movie, and it's certainly like aiming for that level of like this is a movie about a guy named Johnny Guitar, so you know what you're getting into. Uh, but yeah, that that's about as much as I have written down. It's getting uh, a DJ nomination is quite interesting. Yeah, DJ. It's yeah. quite a respectable, and I. It's so weird. Like I thought it was completely shut down by the awards for the festival because it's it's making such a bold statement on like censorship of that time. It it does feel like, I imagine that is probably what hurts its chances at the Oscars and like 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 the Oscars more so than DGA or WGA or BAFTA or wherever. Like yeah. that controversy probably hurts it there more than it would somewhere else. But, like, I mean, you also look at the Oscars in this year and Best Director, the, like, the odd ones out are William Wyler uh, for The Collector and Hiroshi Toshigihara. For yeah, Women that, was, that so was quite interesting. Yeah, it's not like they're they're playing it too close to home. Like, that's one of the coolest nominations for Best Director ever. I mean, Women of Dune getting, like, two Oscar nominations so, like, strange and kind of cool nomination. Like, you don't it's expect cool. that. Yeah, did it win uh foreign language no, the year it, before? No, it did. No, it didn't. Win. No, what oh, an year before, right? Uh, yeah, because it, it, it was right. Wouldn't it have been? Uh, I yeah, think it, it should have been nominated in the year before. Yeah. Loses to yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Uh, the Desika film, one of Desika's like four foreign language wins. Uh. <laughs> Also nominated in, weird... in that year is uh, Umbrellas of Cherbourg. So that, that's an yeah, interesting line. That, that's a great film, man. Uh, it, it's getting a uh, best song nomination was such a cool thing to have. It's so cool. Um, uh, but yeah, Woman in the Dunes getting that director nomination is, uh, I wouldn't take that away. Yeah. You, even for this movie, which I think is like... No, the, and, yeah. and Sidney Lumet can get nominated in future. And he got nomination, yeah. but... Kahara never covered. So it's always cool to get like a non-English language film to get the best director screenplay nomination. Yeah. Especially one as weird as Woman in the Dunes. Like that is a that is a strange movie. It, it's I have not seen that film actually. It's really good. It's it's a very it's in like Tarkovsky's top 10 favorite film of his all time. So I know that makes a lot of sense. Bit, yeah, it, it's going to be a little slow, but I'm quite excited to watch it. it. It's it's definitely worth your time. It's a very strange it's so it's such a strange nomination that i always forget about but it's very cool uh but yeah the the dga nomination for lumet makes sense but also him not getting the oscar nomination makes as much sense because like that probably hurts its chances in a lot of other categories and steiger is just too undeniable for them to mm. leave off 
and i also think dr shivavas performance also affects there because he's kind of like running circles around every actor he's sharing yes. a screen with so yes. like you can how can you nominate him umar sharif over him when he's also in a film that you can nominate him? yeah like i, I think also- that type of it's also like the same way i feel like uh, a lot of people make fun of uh, and what that film matthew mcconaughey won an oscar for Oh, uh, uh, Dallas. Dallas Buyers Club. Club. Yeah, because I do. I think he also won Dallas Buyers Club, and also for the two day performance that he gave the same yes. time. Yes, and also it's... for Magic Mike, and also for yeah. Mud, and also Mud. for uh, Wolf of Wall Street, and also so for, it's like, yeah. So it's not just one performance that usually gets in. If you are in very in a lot of great films at the same time, they will nominate you for step of performance. Like, yes, and, and I also I also don't think. Steiger was you know fifth in this best actor no no like definitely for, not for voting cuz Olivier doesn't even get the globe nomination oh man uh, Olivier yeah you watched that i did uh, uh do you want to talk about uh <sighs> so the, the only other one in this category that i've seen is Cat Blue because i didn't get around to the others i do want to watch the spy who came in from the cold at some the point the spy who came in i like uh... I like John Lacare and I like Richard. Oh Burton. man, it's if you like John Lacare, it's a great film. Like it yeah. definitely. But I'm one of the three people in the world who can say Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy screenplay that word to word because I love that film so much. So yeah, he's quite amazing in uh, Spy Who Came Next. Like it's a it's quite similar to this performance. Like it's a very nuanced performance about a spy guy who has whose country has left him to dust. I will not spoil a lot of things, but it's a very good performance. Like it's able, he's able to take a new, a very soul solemn character and make him interesting and uh, a lot of and add a lot of dimensions to that character. It was, it's not getting a screen, uh, cinematography nomination was so striking because it's very well shot. Like it's one of the most grungiest looking '60s cinema I had seen, black and white '60s film I had seen in a long time. Yeah, I I will eventually check that one out. Uh, it's just a matter of. Not oh, please That'll, do it's it's yeah it's a very that, good film. That got one other nomination. What was I that think one? it's called production design, right? Uh that would track yes, art direction black and white. Yeah. Uh oh, it's, but it's otherwise, well, yeah. It's a very good film. Like especially this I think the screenplay kind of get like Lacare's problem that he's he's not able to nail the final act as in a very cathartic way right. i think the final final shot of the film is incredible but it it lacks the human humanity that usually uh, spy movies require to connect with the audience or about about bodies uh ship of fools othello. or othello yeah uh, othello Let, let's tell talk me about, about othello. othello tell me about othello what? if you have seen any version of othello you don't need to watch this version like it doesn't yeah. add anything to the character and we have to talk about the blackface yeah Lawrence olivier in like it's not even really it's like gray face like it, it's, it's i've seen it's pictures shameful. of it it's it it's kind of like it's very it doesn't feel human like that's the problem yeah. like uh, look it's 60s i i have to let go some of my modern days like uh, even then like at this point no, no let let let, yeah. let me let me let me make my point like oh, yeah, lawrence of arabia there's a lot of black uh, brown faces but it doesn't come as distracting like obi-wan kenobi being in brown face doesn't distract me a lot it kind of looks if i have to wink my eyes and make make an exception but he's so bad in this and the makeup is the 
is not even the biggest flop with his performance. He's giving a very hammy performance. Like everything, he's giving a performance like a theatrical performance in the film, and it doesn't track. Yeah. Like the only decent performance in that film is from the guy who played Iago. I don't remember uh, his name. Frank Finlay or something. Yeah, he he's 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 a, he's actually quite good. Like it's a very long film. Like it's like two hour forty minutes long. Yeah. It's 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 a stage play. Like every it's not even it's a, not even a film. It they just shot a stage play with cameras in there and this even the blocking and staging is bad it's not a very good film if you want to watch a really interesting adaptation of othello i recommend you and the people who is listening to this podcast a bollywood film named omkara oh i think i've heard of that i, I think i've it's, heard it's it's from like 2006 around it's a great film it's like yeah. it takes uh, it's take the core idea of othello and just um, adapt it to the indian mythology and indian uh, current gangster world like it's not a, he, here he's not a Prisoner. He's a guy. He's a guy who's running a gangster. It's closer to Goodfellas. Like it's an approach. He's yeah. It's quite interesting. Like he's working uh, in India. It's called Bahubali, which means like a, a gun guy who's working for a, a what you can say uh, ministers. Like the ministers who comes from a background of crime. That sounds interesting. It's a it's a real thing that happened in India. Yeah. So it's it's commenting on that structure. It's it's a like uh, Othello is about racism. It's uh, Omkara is about casteism in India. Yeah, it's it's a great film. Like if you ever go, and uh, the guy who plays Iago in in, in uh, Omkara, his uh, name is Langla Thagi. He's like uh, a crippled guy. He's played by Saif Ali Khan in a brilliant performance. Like one of the best performances I had seen from Bollywood in last. Twenty years. Right please, on. if you if you want to watch any kind, like if a new turn on Othello, please watch Omkara instead of this. Like you can watch any, even if you go for Blackface, you can. I think Orson Welles version would be better than this version. Yeah, yeah. Seems like it. Seems like there's a not a whole lot going on for this one. Uh, but... Maggie Smith is kind of good, like yeah. as a testimonial. That that's that, testimonial is such a horrible character. <laughs> Yeah, but she's she's fine. Don't watch it, Halo. Like it's it's on YouTube. Please don't watch it. I I, <laughs> I I like plugging that it's on YouTube and then following that up with don't watch it. Like that that's yeah. Good. It's it's not available anywhere else. Like I was looking up. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah. That and tracks. and you can feel and it got four Oscar nominations. Like all for acting. Come on. Yeah, but still, man. Like. It's it's not even a film. It's just a stage play that you. It's also like Olivier at this point has at least three nominations for sure, and he won for and he won for Hamlet. Yeah, like, come on, nominated for Hamlet, nominated for Henry V, nominated for Richard III, which I'll eventually be doing on this show. Like we at this point, we know the Academy likes Olivier doing Shakespeare. You don't need to prove it to us again. You and he was to... going through a slump at this time, right? Yeah, this like I. I he hadn't been nominated since I think the Entertainer in nineteen sixty. So it, it's it's a bit of like, oh, we still like you, Lawrence Olivier, right? Uh, but uh, <laughs> maybe please please take this makeup. Yeah, maybe they could have uh, uh, sat this one out. Maybe in in favor of Omar Sharif again, or, not nominated. or uh, sort Sydney Portier. Yeah, or like any other number of uh, uh, whoever else would have been in this year. Um, oh. this is the lead of a thousand clowns. Jason Robards. Yeah. I haven't seen that one, so I I can't like. Yeah, I have not also seen that film. Um, 
Uh, and you said you'd seen Ship of Fools. Yeah, Ship of Fools. Yeah, Ship of Fools. About... Yeah, Ship of Fools. The uh, thing about that lead nomination is it's so weird that it got a lead acting nomination because usually like and on it's an ensemble piece. It's kind of reminded like a bad version of Nashville. Yeah, like it's it's about a ship, uh, entertaining ship that's going from one place to another, and it has like seven or eight. People living on different different type of countries. Like it's it's they they focus on one on German family, one on Italian family, one on French family, one on American family, and the lead actress who got an Oscar nom for that film. I don't remember her name. Sorry, what's the? Uh, Simone Signoret. Yeah, she's incredible. She's like definitely the highlight of that film. Like she's the only performance I feel like it's very nice. the lead actor is paired with her so i can understand him getting best nomination for acting but it's not a very strong performance like it's only his first and only nomination and he was kind of dull in that film he's kind of like if we have to nominate in pairs so we will nominate her and we want to nominate her but we have to nominate him it's kind of feel like that yeah and you also talk about uh, steiger also being in doctor oh, yeah. baga this year he's also in the spy who came in from the cold uh, yeah And also speaking he's, he's, of people in two movies, someone else Lee that Marvin. is that is in Ship of Fools, Lee Marvin winning Lee Mar- Cat Blue. Lee, Lee Marvin, Marvin who I the, love. Lee Marvin yeah. who I love as an actor, general. Lee Marvin, if you don't know, he's like a '60s era Liam Neeson. Like that—that's yes. the closest I can come. That, like that's actually not guy, a bad but, comparison. That, that tough guy, guy, and he's kind of fun in Cat Blue. Like let's be honest, it's fun. yeah, it's not a it's, lead performance. Is no, no. It's, he's it's, not even the first first act of the film, right? Yeah, he he's playing two supporting characters. One of them yeah. much more so than the other, who like maybe even doesn't have lines. I don't remember. No, no he, he has, has like three lines. Has a few three lines, lines but like is much more menacing as is just sort of like imposing, riding on a horse and looking like that with that silver nose. Uh, but he's fun. I I do like his characterization. I like the the like. Physicality of acting drunk when he's sober, and then sober <laughs> when he gets drunk. That's a, it's a fun physicality. The like, the the way he carries himself is fun. He's he's got some good moments. Uh, I the think the off between the two of himself is good, but you also don't see it. It like cuts yeah. away before you get the big action of that scene, and he just shows up and it's like, well, I killed him, <laughs> which is very clearly like a we don't know how to film this scene yeah, with the two it, of them, so we're just gonna us. cut around it. Uh, but I like Lee Marvin. It's cool that Lee Marvin has an Oscar. It's wild that it's for this. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I I also feel like a lot of like Gore Verbinski is like a huge fan of this film. Like every single thing he has told from this film and made it kind of better actually. Like this film That's... is fine. This film is fine, but it lacks like snappiness of his films, like Gore Verbinski's films, especially yeah. like Pirates. If you're a fan of Pirates, you can watch and have fun with this film. Yeah. It's a it's a fine western for what it is. Um, it was in like AFI top ten western films of all time. Like I remember, crazy. yeah, it's it's like number ten. I remember like it has like Wild. weird, yeah, it's it got like weirdly acclaimed nomination. It was like very highbrow comedy of its time. Yeah, I I mean I guess I can see it, but like, but it's so weird. Like Jane Jane Fonda is kind of charming in this performance. Like she will hit this type of performance. You will consider, but she's kind of charming and giving a movie star performance. Yeah, it's yeah. it's so weird that this film is like an Oscar considered like a best big best film and best director nomination. Yeah, I mean it. It ends up ultimately not 
actually getting either of those nominations, but it was probably closer than yeah. than the. It's like number six. Was. I think I think it's like number six in that lineup. Yeah, because it gets five nominations. Um, as many nominations as Cat Blue and A Patch of Blue, yeah. and more so than A Thousand Clowns, uh, which are. I guess, oh no, Patch of Blue doesn't get a uh, picture nomination. That also probably was pretty close. I would imagine. I wonder if yeah. the pawnbroker, if this was a year of ten, if that could have been. I like think a, it, it might have place. been. Like it were to get like past life this year, like past life got a two uh, two nomination. Might yeah, could have happened. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a uh, uh, Capaloo, strange. Um, uh, Nate Nate Cole is fun in that. Who? Nate Cole, the singer, this the oh, guy who yes. sings. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Nat King Cole and and Stubby K as the yeah. like sort of Greek chorus narrator, uh, uh, narrators. Yeah, it's, it's fun to have them in there. It it has it has so many good ideas, but it just does not mesh well. It's, like, a, it has it's some... weirdly executed. <laughs> it's really it, if this film is like directed by someone who understand the tone of the film, it would have been much better. I feel like yeah, that. yeah. I think it, it's in theory, it's fun. It's a fun movie separated from the fact that... It, it got an editing nomination, which was just bizarre to me. Yeah. If you separate it from the fact that Lee Marvin won a, a, a strange <laughs> Oscar for it, you can have a good time with it. It's a fun movie. Uh, yeah. That just... Watching it in this specific context, comparing it specifically against Steiger's performance, which also Steiger compared it yeah. against his performance. Yeah, There's yeah. A, 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 a... Interview a thing, in YouTube. Uh, There's an interview that I, I think it's in like either his biography or something. There's a quote on Wikipedia that I, I screenshotted because I loved it so much. Because uh, he expected himself to win. Steiger, yeah, Steiger totally thought he was going to win. Uh, the Academy loss was a major wake-up call for him. Steiger sc- scolded himself for it. Quote, <laughs> listen, jackass, never take happiness, never take your talent for granted. Never in any walk of life take for granted your capabilities. Each minute a second of life is a challenge. So sit still, schmuck. And let this be a lesson to you. Happiness has to be earned and respected. Rewards must never be taken for granted. Which honestly, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty interesting uh, reaction to losing an Oscar. Man, I, that's kind of humbling thing to it think is. about. It is. Like, like to, to have that like perspective of, yeah, I was, like, I, I know I was great in this movie. People, other people know I was great in this movie. Still kind of stings to lose to Lee Marvin for that performance. But I'm not going to take for granted. I'm not just going to like go through life assuming that people are going to just inherently recognize and re- like it, it's it's an interesting interesting little little uh, uh moment to have there uh as I was listening to, because of- I was listening to one of his interview in YouTube I don't remember where it's from like uh, he was telling it like he went considered the winning of heat in the heat of the night combined with his performance in pawnbroker like he's considered like he won for that performance because yeah. he lost for this it's it's a, a kind of similar like uh uh Jeremy Irons thanking David Cronenberg yeah. uh for winning for Reversal of Fortune because that's kind of an Oscar for uh, uh Dead Ringers in in a sort of backwards way. Um yeah, I, I, I can't imagine without this performance that Steiger would have won for In the Heat of the Night because it's a good performance in the best picture winner, but like it's such a competitive year for best actor that I think if you don't have the added like incredible respect for this performance coming so so soon before that, uh, that it's entirely possible he ends up losing to like 
Spencer Tracy or Dustin Hoffman or someone because there's such and, competition there. And also, I think uh, his performance Shivago is also helping him because yes. I think it's like that is the film that everybody saw. Like I don't think Pawn Broker is seen by a lot of person, but I think his performance in especially like the first hour, we both think like that's the most fun part. I think the film is divided into two in, in interval and post interval. I think pre-interval part is more interesting because of Steiger. Yes. Yeah. And, and, for and also people just element. liked Rod Steiger. He, he was just yeah. like an actor of his so, generation that, that was to be taken seriously. And uh, uh, we like in general nowadays, we don't talk about Rod Steiger nearly as much as we should in, in comparison to like Brando or Hoffman or Newman or any of the other actors of that generation that are like still brought up today as among the best actors of of the 20th century in general we don't talk about Rod Steiger nearly as much as we should I, I also think like he doesn't have a lot of films in his background to see yeah that. and and he was like not as pretty as other guys yeah that's the thing is, is he, he doesn't he, have the leading he's, man look he's a, he's a very like character actor looking guy I, lo- I lo- love the way he looks but he's oh, absolutely like, yeah He's a very good-looking guy, but he's not like like. Come on, Marlon Brando look like God in front of yeah. two other guys. Yeah, um, there's so many of these other categories that I I, I we can't get in the weeds oh, on all of we, them. But like, I think I think we should talk about a specific thing that I noticed that this is the only year where like only one film nominated for best actor got for best picture nomination. Usually, like yeah. that, that usually don't happen, and it it's more like woman oriented year. Yes. Like it, it got a lot of best act, actress nominee nominee or uh, like best picture nomination. Yeah, it does not happen often that you have. Uh, yeah, because I guess it is only Ship of Fools. That that's odd. Yeah, that's a and you could have had Omar Sharif, <laughs> for example. Oh yeah, uh, who uh, I mean, I mentioned he won the Golden Globe. He's one of only three times that the Golden Globe for actor in a drama, uh, the the winner didn't go on to an Oscar nomination. Uh, the That's others, Spencer Tracy and something called The Actress and uh, Jim Carrey in The Truman Show are the only other times. Uh, I don't know what happened because also I Omar think... Sharif is also an, already an Oscar nominee. And, and by, when I said he wasn't what happened, what I same... mean is I don't I, I don't want to think that it was just racism, but it probably was. And look, man, the I I also think like racism is the ba- basic thing that easy to compare. But I also think he kind of struggles in uh, Doctor Shivago, specifically the dialogue scenes. That's and, fair. It's also and he, a, yeah. but but it's but kind of sucks that uh, he was looked over like something like Lawrence of Olivia's terrible performance in Othello. Yeah, which, which kind of stings. Yeah, like I, I want to give give Academy a little bit credit, but they, they just shoot himself in the back in their back. It's yeah, it's unfortunate. Look, like uh, I think uh, here's the thing about uh, Umar Sharif. He's a very good emotional, intense actor. Yeah. And when you give him a romantic scene, he's not able to handle that. Like there are some moments in Dr. Shivago where the love story doesn't click because of that. Yeah. There is also like I made the Titanic comparison and DiCaprio didn't get nominated yeah. for that either. And it's a, it's a case where like, you know, it's a romantic movie. And it's and, a woman oriented movie. And yeah. you are just a second fiddle on that. Yeah. Even though your name is on that title. Yeah. And, and it was like second biggest hit of that year. Come on, guys. Like, yeah. What it, are we doing? I think it's just a case where like, 
you know the romantic movie isn't as taken seriously where, where, where is the margot robbie hate camp going on right now? yes like, yeah uh ju- justice for omar sharif truly yeah uh it would but, have been really cool if he got like best actor nomination it would have been the first um, first uh, brown skin actor to get a nomination right for for, for lead actor. yeah uh well, Poitier had won a few years prior. No, no, I was uh, but, saying like Asian oh, character. Yes, yes, uh, uh, of um, because he was Egyptian, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. European I, category. I think so. I think unless I'm forgetting somebody, I think that's probably true. Uh, that would that would track because his his previous nomination was in supporting, which at the very least it's cool with that yeah. one where like. He's it, he's amazing, Lawrence of Arabia. Yes. I recently watched Lawrence of Arabia for first time actually. Like he's this so week, good. Last week also. Yeah, he's again the intensity in his eyes is just incredible. Yeah, and that's also one where like they did go to bat for him, where like the 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 studio or whoever behind that movie specifically campaigned everyone else in that cast in lead, so that, that there wouldn't shitty. be competition for Sharif in supporting. Uh, so that like Anthony Quinn and Alec Guinness and all them. Were okay. campaign were pushed in lead, so that Sharif would have a better shot at supporting him. That's cool. That's a that's a, a cool moment of gaming the system in like the last year you could. I have to say one thing, man. David Lean is kind of a cool guy for a British guy in his sixties. Like he was quite yeah. quite progressive for his time. Yeah, for, uh, to to a degree. Yeah, like um, uh, he casted like a, a brown skin guy in his in a lead in nineteen sixties. Yeah, kind of in cool. a romantic lead too. Like yeah, like, with with a British woman, the, yeah. the accent in in uh, Doctor Shiva is quite insane. Like everybody doing their own accent. Everyone's doing wild accents <laughs> in that one. Um, I just want to sort of like skim through these other categories uh, where I would consider the pawnbroker uh, adapted screenplay. Doctor Zhivago wins. Cat Blue in adapted screenplay is yeah. wild. I don't know wild what's going on there. Wild. Um, and I haven't seen the others in there. Uh, the Collector, Ship of Fools, and A Thousand Clowns. Um, uh, Ship of Fools got the best screenplay nomination. It's a very bad screenplay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, very bad screenplay. Specifically, like, uh, now we have seen the good versions of it. Like, it feels like a very bad, uh, what's the name of the director? Uh, Robert Altman film. Like, yeah. it's a very bad version of Robert Altman film. And Sandy uh, Kramer, I, I have heard like you he made like really good films. I have not seen any of his films before this. I, I can't remember if I have. I probably have seen at least some of his, but I can't remember off the top of my head which ones are him. Best score, uh, Dr. Zhivago wins, which of course like, it does. Of like, course. It's like, like that's the, the reason Laura's... that movie made so much money. <laughs> people loved uh, Laura's theme. Like it is Laura's theme is just like undeniable thing. Like yes. it's like this year's Oppenheimer's cool. Like, can you hear the music start playing and you're like, oh, he's going to win this year. Yeah. Again, <laughs> talking about Titanic, it's like uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, the my heart's going on theme yes. just going clicks and you are like, okay, he's give them all the Oscars. Of course, yeah. Um, but then also. Uh, I mean, Umbrellas of Cherbourg getting a oh, yeah. nomination is cool. Like, uh, should have won. Yes. But then the others are The Agony and the Ecstasy, The Greatest Story Ever Told, and A Patch of Blue, which, like, that's Alex North, Alfred Newman, and Jerry Goldsmith, so that makes sense. Oh, God. Uh, Alex, Alex North never won an Oscar, right? I don't think so. He, he was yeah. nominated, like, insane yeah. amount. Fifteen nominations Jesus. and no wins. Uh, he got an honorary award in nineteen eighty six, but uh, fifteen. Yeah, fifteen nominations. 
crazy. Uh, nominated for Streetcar Named Desire, Death of a Salesman, Viva the Pata, The Rose Tattoo, Original Song for Unchained Melody, uh, The Rainmaker, Spartacus, Cleopatra, The Agony and the Ecstasy, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf, The Shoes of the Fisherman, Shanks, Bite the Bullet, Dragon Slayer, and Under the Volcano. Uh, how he lost to Spartacus score is like incredible. Like how he lost that. Who, who lost to that year? Uh, yeah, l- let me pull that up. Actually, who won original score in nineteen sixty? Um, Exodus. Oh, Exodus won. Also, I mean, yeah. also in that year, Psycho not even nominated. That's Bernard. They don't like Bernard. Like that, that, Bernard got like. A... But like, how you not nominate North by Northwest? Like that is insane to me. That's one of the best scores ever composed. Did Bernard Herman ever get nominated? I think he got like Taxi Driver. Like, oh, post- he did. He won for uh, the Devil and Daniel Webster, oh. uh, nominated for Citizen Kane, which he loses to himself for Devil and Daniel Webster. Nominated <laughs> for Anna and the King of Siam. Uh, nominated posthumously for Obsession and Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver yeah. in the same year. Uh, and loses both of those to the Omen. So at least, like, that, that's fair. The Omen. Okay. Yeah, yeah that that score is incredible. Yeah. So he has those five nominations. Anyway, uh, uh, where were we? Score. We were yeah, looking Quincy, at score. Quincy Jones' yeah. score would have been. Very... It would have been cool, like his first. But I think uh, they don't want to nominate a newcomer in that category. Yeah, they very much love their their specific. Like John Williams now nominated for like fifty seven time and Indiana Jones in the fifth movie. It's it's insane, <laughs> insane. Yeah, I everybody. I was making fun like he look. He will they will nominate him and they will give him for his last score. And even after that, the John Williams said it's not his going to be his last score because he I mean, like this. Such a nothing score for him. He's gotten at least three nominations for his last score. For this, for the Fablemans, for mm. Force Awakens, like they just keep giving it to him for movies that he, he says he's Force Awakens. At, at, at least Force Awakens is a good score. He was nominated for the last uh, Star Wars film. What's the name? Oh, of Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, right. that, he was nominated. That for was that. That's that's that that insane. insane nomination. That's insane. Um, art direction, Ship of Fools wins. Uh. I haven't seen any of these, but you have a King Rat, Patch of Blue, The Slender Thread, and Spy Who Came In From The Cold. Uh, Art Direction Black and White, I should say. Um, Pond should have, been should have been in there. Uh, cinematography yeah, Black and White. Tip should have won. Uh, in Harm's Way, King Rat, Morituri, and A Patch of Blue. Um, yeah, no, this should have been... And, like, other than Ernest Laszlo and Conrad Hall, uh, these aren't necessarily cinematographers that are that you know by name. Yeah. Like, and Royal The Shape Grinch. of Fools is very bad looking movie. Like yeah. there's some some really good exterior shot and then when the camera goes inside and it looks like a TV movie. It's yeah. so weird. No, this should have been it was Bernard Kaufman I think I wrote down what's his name. I already have forgotten. Yeah, uh, Boris Kaufman. Boris Kaufman should have been in here. He already had an Oscar. Yeah. Like Yeah. You like him. He's been nominated twice. You you can throw him in there for this movie. Um Editing, yeah, God, Cat Baloo in editing. Cat Baloo is wild. insane. Sound of Music winning makes sense. Doctor Zhivago in there yeah. makes sense. Flight of the Phoenix, I haven't seen, but that's like it's got like a Doctor Shiv- Doctor Zhivago is doing like a lot of like sound oriented editing, which was very interesting to yes. look. Like, Do- Doctor Zhivago is a well edited movie for a movie that's over three hours. Yeah, it it doesn't. It has well. a it has a rhythm and a flow towards. Yes, it. and Flight of the Phoenix is like a has a plane crash 
in it. I don't know if it's depicted. Like, and we, like, and we love the plane crash sequence. In yeah, the, like that's why Thelma won for uh, Aviator. She, she, yeah. she makes fun of that also. And then uh, the Great Race, which I brought up last week, a movie I've started but never finished. But it's a, <laughs> a Tony Curtis Jack Lemon comedy that, at the very least, it's cool to have a movie like that nominated uh, for editing a Blake Edwards slapstick comedy that's like sort of like a live action wacky races type thing it's at the very least very interesting filmmaker like he makes live live action cartoons in the yeah um makes looney tune movies in live action yes uh but yeah so those are like the categories that i uh, at least would have brought this up in uh what else about this year in general we didn't really talk much about sound of music uh, yeah, we should talk that. about like best but best like, picture nominee. Sound of Music, best picture winner, even higher grossing movie in this year than yeah, Doctor Zhivago. Insane. Uh, I've only seen it once. I've only seen it all the way through once. Uh, yeah. I may have told this story on here before, but uh, <clears throat> that's a movie that uh, when I was a kid, there were two separate instances where I started watching it and fell asleep and didn't <laughs> know for years that there were Nazis in that movie. Because I fell asleep before, like, I fell asleep before, like, the Nazis became a major plot point, and I was too young to, like, recognize the Nazi imagery that's in, like, sort of in the background of the earlier parts of the movie. Like, it took me so long to know that there were Nazis in that movie. Um, uh, I think uh, here's the thing about Sound of Music. Like, Sound of Music is a very corny movie, but it's very well done. Like yeah. if you commit to its, uh, you have to go to its zone and you have to commit to the time. You have to go in the mindset that I am going to watch a three hours musical. Then it's fine. And I think Julia Andrews' performance is just like so charming. Oh yeah, she's I mean, she's can, so much of what makes that movie to hate deny. that it is. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a good movie. I I I don't have as yeah. informed sure. thoughts on it because I don't I, have I as really much nostalgia like, for it. I really like good. it. I, good. I really. I, I don't have nostalgia, but I really like that film. Like, I have seen it yeah. twice, and every time I'm charmed by that film. Very charming movie. M- makes total sense that it's the best picture winner. Like, I, I don't I don't take fault in that win, even if it's not my number one of the year, which very well might be the pawnbroker, honestly. Uh, yeah. Pawnbroker uh, is like, it, it's, it almost like feels like out of the world. Like, it yeah. feels like, as I said, it's like a 70s type of film, which came in the 60s. Like, I don't want to just go around saying it was too good for the Oscars, but like it, it it if this movie was like like came out ten years later, it would have yeah. gotten several more nominations than it actually did. It's just uh too ahead of its time for the Academy to like be on board with it. I think uh, it will get like the way network was coming uh, loved by critics and academy award at that time. It would have been get the same reaction, yeah, yeah. Is there anything else uh, here we want to harp on or or uh, mention? Um, I think uh, uh, we can we can talk about a little bit about uh, the musicals of the time, like from sixties. We oh, can yeah. see that for yes, talk about musicals from from Sound of Music. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's, I mean, it's the last musical. No, not no, last best, musical best it, picture winner before Chicago. Oliver won't. Uh, Oliver yeah. won't. After I made a list of, of 
the films that got nominated in the 60s because i think that's the time period where yeah. people were getting over the musical. 60s you can you can track the decline from 19 yeah like 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 in 1961 there was two best picture nom- two of the best picture nominees were musicals one was west side story which won that year yeah another was fanny and both uh, and you can see like uh, now people want to make musical about uh, stage plays or broadway because they yeah. don't feel secure that musicals will work as as well like you can not picture them singing in the rain nowadays because yeah. like, people were kind of getting bored of musical after that in 1962 music man got an oscar nomination for best yeah. picture 1963 they skip they didn't nominate any other film for musical 64 my fair lady won which is such a strange best picture winner like this. i don't like my fair lady <laughs> me too it's a horrible film <laughs> like it's such a british film to win it's, best it's an... and you can nominate you can give it to mary poppins if you really want to give the musicals they yeah. they nominate that film that is a fun film to give uh then sound of music got like 1965 best picture nomination 1967 the most controversial one dr do little got the best picture nomination oh, which is it sure did it's a terrible <laughs> like it's awful. such a bad film awful it's so long like it's 3 hour plus it, it feel like longer than dr shivago yeah then uh, oliver and funny games got best picture nomination 1968 and 1967 i would funny girl what a funny girl think, you said funny. you said funny games which no funny if, if, if funny games was a musical <laughs> that would have been that would have been uh that that's a that's the final film of michael hennigke united next year come we got funny games he, he remakes it a third time and it's a musical musical it's oh, inspired wow. by la la land <laughs> <laughs> it, it, then instead in, of violence it's it's all about yeah. how how uh, you're uh the audience is complicit when they watch a musical musical uh, yeah. you're sanctioning music <laughs> in 1969 then Hilary Dolly got the best picture nomination which was, I was surprised because everybody hated that film from that time period. Yeah, it's a, another thing uh, with uh, Dr. Doolittle where the studio just really pushed it hard and and got it over the line there uh because they were really like campaigning for it more so than people I, actually liking it and voting for it on yeah. that. I think 1970 last film that we can put in this category was Fiddler on the Roof that got like best picture nomination yeah. and many yeah. other nomination but I think after that uh, once the cabaret hit you have to yeah. change the entire there's like musicals. such a such a strict split between Fiddler yeah. on the Roof and Cabaret, and cabaret. Uh, back to back like the musical as a genre just changes uh, just changes completely yeah uh it's an interesting sort of uh uh timeline you can track there uh some good ones some bad ones i don't mind oliver i i don't I have never really seen like oliver it. i watched it recently when i did charlie on this show it's not bad it's a weird best picture winner but it's fine for for being i think movie. i think nowadays film bros just hate that because it won over 2000 space odyssey like that's the yeah. thing yeah it's it's a fine movie it's an okay winner but it's not the worst winner not the best. I think nine, you can say that about most of 1960s best picture winners yeah. like sound of music is one of the better films that won that year yeah that like decade. L- lawrence of arabia and the apartment are undeniable yeah. midnight cowboys great in the heat of the night is solid um trying to remember sound, sound of music is uh, so be- so so better when you compare to my fair lady that comes yeah. out like one year ago west side story is good Um Tom Jones is weird. It's weird. <laughs> it's not terrible, it's just very strange. 
it it feels um, like monty python film where jokes are removed from the film it's so yeah. weird and then i've never seen a man for all seasons i think that's the only other i have uh, seen man for all seasons but it's kind of like i understand why people hate i like it but it's it's not very interesting like robert shaw is amazing in that film like as you yeah. expect him he's phenomenal in that film but it's very stagey film like you can yeah. feel like this is should uh, like uh, uh what the film who's afraid of virginia wolf should have won that year like it, Very it much should so. have yeah like uh, you just can't compare it to them i mean i ha- not having seen a man for all seasons and with who's afraid of virginia wolf in my top 10 i can't imagine oh, uh, I, I, whenever i do watch it uh ending up with that uh, i mean it could happen but i no no it's I, I you won't It's it's such a 1960s film like yeah. you just feel like it's very out there of its time. Yeah. And and uh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf still now film like transgressive at this time like you cannot make you, that film is so challenge the concept of marriage at this point you cannot even make that film. Yeah. yeah. It's it's so good. Um is there anything else we want to say? about these oscars or this year in general like you mentioned up top this is my only time talking about 1965 so uh, any like anything else on- i think uh, it's it's quite amazing that it's the only year which is on the un- unadjusted top 10 films of all time there are two films of the top 10 dr yeah. shivago and sound of music and they sort of loom large for movies that collectively got two acting nominations uh, uh and w- with like notable sort of snubs uh in there yeah. i i mean julie christie wins for a different movie that's sort of like like we were saying with steiger and marvin and verner a little bit like here's your win for darling but also a little bit for so, dr jago yeah. um but like you know only getting the andrews nomination for sound of music and only getting the tom courtney nomination for dr jago uh those movies still loom large in general they they win like five oscars each from 10 nominations each uh uh it's a it's a very i'm not going to say it's the barbenheimer of its time but like <laughs> you, it's both at the same time like both can you bury in both are open i would the same a time. little bit a little bit <laughs> there's a there's there's parallels to be had uh, not not one to one but like there's there's a there's connections you can make um but yeah no uh do we want to move on to closing thoughts i i have a whole list yeah. of, of uh nominations i would give it <laughs> yeah yeah uh, we should do that yeah so in your fantasy world where you get to pick all of the oscar nominations what nominations would you have given to the pawnbroker uh it would have been like one of the best films of this year we've both talk about it 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 is definitely making the best picture out of this nomination it i would definitely give it best director because i think uh, i like william wyler but he already had three oscars come on man like you yeah. can just move and get a nomination there uh we ross tiger is definitely getting the best actor he's winning my world the best oh, actor oh absolutely he's winning and uh, then i'm giving it uh, when it comes to writing i will give it like adapted screenplay over cat balu like it's so easy to you know yeah. strike that off uh same goes for editing i think it's one of the best edited film from 60s like yeah. I, in my in my world it will win the editing oscar uh, and uh, for production design as well as cinematography it will get a nomination because i think it's very well taken i we would should talk about our sound mixing it's very well done like yeah i was about to say we didn't talk about it but sound is one of the nominations it's, it's i had very very too. cool nomination very very good 
smartly makes sound sound yeah. mixing and sound design is of this film is quite incredible it's a very good film like if if you have listened to this podcast if you like 70s 60s films if you like film about character drama this is a must watch and i think it gets uh, it kind of gets uh, you know, under the sweep compared to other films of this time like from 60s if you have make like hard dating 60s drama people don't come cause this film they It's... talk about uh something like midnight cowboys or yeah and this is on week. par with all that yeah yeah no i agree with you on all those picture director I and mean, it's probably winning most if not all of yeah. the ones that i'm mentioning picture director actor for rod steiger which is a a shoe in to win uh editing cinematography uh art direction sound score the quincy jones score is absolutely uh a adapted screenplay if i didn't say it like yeah this this is a this movie should have been recognized across the board i absolutely understand why it wasn't uh based yeah. on just the social context of the time but like in a just world this is this is cleaning up definitely uh and with that i think that'll do it for this episode thank you so much for coming on and talking about this fantastic movie with me always oh, i'll be back on Oh I love talk about Sydney Lumet until the guys stopped talking. I love that filmmaker so much. I I just yeah. like recently there's a conflict that is among the Twitter people that Sydney Lumet is kind of overrated. Like how how can you say that guy's overrated? I mean he, just, he, just look at the look at the receipts. Bob Ingraman. Uh this movie. Long Day's Journey into Night. Network. Serpico. Dog Day Afternoon. Like, His 70s work is as good as Francis Ford Coppola's work. I would dare to say that. Yeah, I, I, I can get on board with that. When you have Network, Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, I know I'm forgetting others, but like, uh, who, uh, what's what's the name of that film? Man, um, I'm gonna pull uh, up the film. Murder at the Murder at the Orient Express. Also, yes, that film. Yes, the variety like, of the film. He he had basically made a film in every genre, even. his book about making movies is such a cool book to read about like he he know he is not a very pretentious guy he knows how to make best out of the worst situation damn that's what some that's something that to be admired about like he's not considered an outdoor filmmaker but uh, he got his own voice like that's the thing yeah very much so I lo- love me some sydney lumet uh glad to have been able to talk about him so many times on this show uh at least for two good movies and the morning after mm-hmm. uh but like yeah this this movie uh this movie's great and i'm yeah. glad uh i was able to talk about it and uh, uh to to really go to bat for it cuz it's a great movie and i'm glad you picked it so uh uh yeah do you have uh, anything you want to plug anywhere people can find you and your stuff you can follow me on uh, aditya Do- aditya bhattacharya 9 on my instagram page uh, you can put that link and uh, right now i am making this oscar category and oscar related post coming a few weeks i am not able to watch a lot of films that is nominated in oscar because i live in india and they do release a lot of films here so l- let me have a few weeks and i will post about it uh, yeah. other than that i i have nothing else to plug in uh, right on Uh you can find this show on Twitter and Letterboxd at Lone Acting Noms and on Instagram at the Lone Acting Nominees. That'll be it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.